All right, well, we made it officially. ISSCR 2015, Stockholm, Sweden. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano alongside my partner, colleague, and friend, Dr. Yosef Gannat. What up, Yos? Yes, we are live on the floor. I could you could hear the buzz. You can hear the little rumbles. This is I uh, hear the rumbles, man. Yeah, yeah. And I just ran into our old PI. Well, my current one, your old one. Yes, Lorenz sir, Doctor Lorenz Studer over at the bathroom. Hopefully, we could get him over the, here. The bathroom is a meeting place. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so. Unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes you don't, but it is a meeting place. So they gave us a nice spot, a nice locale. I tweeted out, I tweeted out a uh, a pic. Uh, the hashtag, I don't, you're not going to be able to follow it live, um, so I guess it's irrelevant for me to give you the hashtag, but you can, I guess, pull up the tweets. We're at t- uh, hashtag stem cell story and hashtag ISSCR 2015. Looks like, yo, as people are starting to trickle in, there was a pre- presidential symposium uh, early. Mm. And uh, uh, so Rudy Yanish, yeah, I was that? I think it was, let's see here, we have it here. I can go through it to you in a second. Uh, I think Rudy gives the uh, president's address. Then there was some uh, award presentations. Uh, you got Dr. Fred Gage, who was a guest on the show. Dr. Jürgen Noblik, who was a guest on the show. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, of course, Shinya Yamanaka. Yep. So there's a nice packed, uh, star-studded first event. There's going to be a little break now. People are going to start to trickle in. I'm watching people come in, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to pull people aside. Um, and uh, we already got people coming up to us and asking to be interviewed. So... That's, I think yeah, yeah I think we're going to be uh, I think we're going to have a nice a nice time. Uh the t-shirts are here also. We'll t-shirts are here. T-shirts uh, as long as you just show up and uh, subscribe to the podcast, you get a free t-shirt. You got to press that subscribe button. Yeah. That's how you do it. We're going to do subscribe. So um, we're not going to obvious this is the beginning of the episode which you're not going to hear is a uh, a roundup. Uh, we're just going to do uh, all um, all interviews, uh, but I will still give credit uh, because Thermo Fisher is our partner and sponsors the Roundup, but they will be here too and coming on and joining us, so I'll give them their plug in the beginning. Uh, Thermo Fisher, lifetechnologies.com, stemcellpodcast.com, click on the banner. And uh, I think Yosef and I will uh, shut it down and then we'll be back with a first guest. What do you say, man? Sounds good to me. All right, guys. Okay, so we have our first guest. We have our first fish. We we roped her in, Alnita Kirkaby. Kirk- I used to I call I her that AK. Right. I used to call her AK. I used to say Alnita. Alnita. Uh, but anyway, we should stop doing that. Welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored to be your you're first, the first guest. You're the first guest. So please introduce. Tell us where you're from, right now. What's your current position? Where do you, what do you? Where are you working? So I am from Denmark, but I work in Sweden. So I actually cross cross the border every single day. I work at Lund University. Okay, and you're working for and with? I'm right now actually setting up my own group. Yes, you are. Actually, this week it's just become official. My group has been. All (laughs) right, congratulations! (laughs) That's fantastic. But you were with. I was with Malin Palmer, and okay. I'm still working closely with Malin Palmer. Okay. Dr. Palmer, we had on the Stem Cell Podcast. She did a great interview. She says great stuff. We crossed paths in Lorenz Studer's lab when you were visiting there mm-hmm. as a visiting scientist, a visiting student at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us, tell us about your work a little bit in a few minutes, what you're working on. Uh, right. So we're working on basically what Lawrence also is. So Lawrence really taught me in this field. Uh, everything I know, pretty much I learned from him and you guys. 
so we're also working on uh, making stem cells for uh, treatment of Parkinson's disease. Cool. So that's uh, something we're doing. Uh, Molly and Palmer and we are, are doing in collaboration in a large EU project. Uh, and then also in my own group, I'm working more on modeling human neural development in vitro in the dish. So I saw that your I saw that abstract. It's like modeling, uh, like kind of the neural tube. Is that correct? Like kind of reconstruction of the neural tube. Is that what, is that? Did I get that right? Like three dimensional. Right, right. We're tr- we're trying to model uh, the development of the neural tube with stem cells. Um, in a system where we can control where we have the anterior part and the posterior part of the neural tube in the dish. And, and you're giving a talk, correct, on I'm Saturday? I'm giving a talk, yes, on oh, Saturday. Oh, nice. Right. And is it going to be on the neural tube work or the dopamine work? That's going to be on the neural tube work. So Excellent. that's actually the first time I'm presenting my own work for wow. my own group. So your group will be where you are now? Is in that correct? Lund, in yes, Lund, okay. exactly, yes. Okay, and you said you live in Denmark and you drive. I No, uh, yeah, you I train? take a train, yes. How far, is the, how far is the train ride? Uh, that's like 50 minutes from door to door. Oh, that's So it's like working within the same city. Sometimes in New York City it can take 50 minutes just <laughs> yeah, to get down the street. That's how long it takes me. Everything is just smaller here in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so can you suggest some stuff for us to do while we're here, or we should do that offline maybe? I don't know. I mean, is there <laughs> is there like a like a like something that you have to do when you're here, or...? Not well, really. Obviously, you have to eat schuttbuller. Do you know what that is? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is this is a family what? podcast. Wait, what? <laughs> How long have you been in Sweden? For we just got here. We literally <laughs> just landed. What you is it? You cannot be in Sweden more than twenty-four hours without without knowing what schuttbuller. Schuttbuller. What is it? <laughs> That's like the Swedish national dish. Okay. It's uh, meatballs. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Swedish meatballs. <laughs> and it doesn't matter which restaurant you go to. You can go to any restaurant and they will serve meatballs. Okay. So are they like right. sweet or are they say like they salty savory or are they sweet? Cuz I mean they have them in America like Swedish sweet meatballs, meat- remember? Yeah, in Ikea you And they're gross. They're, they're, they're really Swedish. not They're not sweet. No. No, like the flavor sweet. Can you get sweet meatballs? Well, look, yo, so I'm going to leave it to you to remember the name of that. I will. I will. <laughs> um, so great. Uh, any other is Shane here? Is he going to be given a, a presentation? No, I saw Shane you is not here. He's studying uh, to be a to doctor. Be, to be a doctor, yes, yes again. Yes. A- again, uh, no, yeah, still, I saw you yeah. guys just recently <laughs> published together again. So uh, yeah, he's uh, working from a distance. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you for sharing your stem cell story with us. Yeah, and thank you for having scene. me. No problem. Congrats on you your lab, your new group. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, so moving on, we're joined here by uh, Patricia Russo. Uh, she's here from the German Cancer Research Center, and she is a postdoc there. And I assume you're working on stem cells. Tell us your stem cell story. Um, yeah, I'm working on stem cells. I'm working on neuron stem cells and glioblastoma stem cells. And I basically try to find out the difference between a healthy neuron stem cell and a glioblastoma stem cell. What makes a cell sick? Interesting. This is very cool. We just heard, excuse me, a talk at NextGen about uh, trying to identify uh, the glioblastoma stem cells is Dimitri Plakotinakis and also yeah. Vivian Tabar yes. that we know from one of the mem- CDs what was yeah it? one of those CD markers there are a lot of CD markers yeah, CD and 133 I think, mm, I think yeah, was the aggressive CD one and uh. so CD 133 was always the stem cell marker yes yes but I think many people have a lot of problems with those things okay 
little Cause. controversy going on. I love controversy. <laughs> I don't think it's a controversy, but they no, also figured out that sure. non-CD133 expressing cells can make tumors. So okay. obviously it's not the best marker, but mm. it's still a pretty good marker, I think. And this is a human system or mouse you're using? Um, right now we're using a mouse system. We're making glioblastoma in mice. We take the cells out and uh, I also compare... Um, adult neurostem cells from mice, what genes they're expressing compared to the glioblastoma stem cells, what genes are they expressing, and if there's a difference, and if the difference can be targeted. So the idea is if you have a drug that targets uh, stem cells, your adult neurostem cells should still not die. They mm. should still be fine, but yeah. why you get the glioblastoma stem cells in the brain targeted. Oh, so they're not susceptible to the drug, the adult stem cell in the brain? Yeah, so oh. I'm trying to find proteins which are specifically expressed in the brain tumor stem cells and not anywhere else. Yes. So then you specifically can target those cells. Targeted therapy. Targeted That's therapy. it's all about. Yeah. So um, do you have a poster or a talk? What are you, what are oh, are yeah, you? I do have a poster. Um, it's on Friday. I kind of don't know my poster number <laughs> that's okay uh, well we could always find you on the app you uh, can always yes. find me i'm happy for everybody who comes to the poster yes and the last <laughs> name is r-u-s-u perfect yes. do, so. do you listen to the stem cell podcast if you don't you have to now yeah from now on i would i promise <laughs> okay. all okay. the time stemcellpodcast.com thank you so much for Thanks coming well. have a nice have a you nice do. time bye-bye bye, -bye. bye. Back on the floor here, I have Shahab. That's his first name. Is that correct? Said that correct? That is correct. And you're from UCLA? I am, yeah. In Los Angeles, California. Sunny LA, or sometimes mostly sunny LA. Uh, so tell us your stem cell story. What, what do you do? You're a graduate student. Yeah, so in my lab, we are trying to develop uh, muscle stem cells uh, for therapeutic purposes for uh, muscle-wasting diseases. So we're trying to turn... Um, so, so we have stem uh, induced pluripotent stem cells from patients, and we're trying to turn them into muscle stem cells. So we're trying to differentiate them a little bit, but not sort of all the way. Okay. And your the PI in the lab is uh, Dr. April Pyle. April Pyle. Okay, very cool. You have a poster here. Uh, I will. Yeah. Okay. So mine is uh, on Friday. Friday. So, how long into your studies are you? Uh, I'm finishing up. Actually, fin I should be done. Uh, I think in fall. Nice. And your nice. plans? Do you know what you would like to do yet? Uh, I do want to go for my PhD after you do. my master's, yeah. You're going to stay in L.A. or are you going to... Uh, I'm going to try and stay on the West Coast. Okay. So I don't want to limit my choices too much, but okay. I do like it on this side. And uh, are, do you, what, what kind of work are you doing? Is it all tissue culture? Or are you grafting? What are you, what are you uh, doing with these I don't do cells? engraftment. Somebody else in our lab does engraftments, but I, do, um, I mostly just do tissue culture. So you're doing the differentiations, uh, optimizing protocols type things, or more yeah. bio cell biology work, characterizing the cells when they're made, things like this? Um, I'm, I'm doing mostly the differentiation stuff. Okay. And yeah. I, IPS and ESL? Uh, just IPS. Just IPS. Very, very cool. And what kind of is it? Give me a disease that you're working on. Uh, so we, we mostly work with mu um, muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy. Nice. Is there a mouse, a muscular dystrophy mouse? Yeah, so the MDX mouse is MDX? the mouse model of muscular and, dystrophy. And what, what? how do you make uh, muscle stem cells? What kind of pathways do you have to... So, Excite or so right down. now we're uh, working with the transcription factor PAC7. Okay. So we're trying to see if overexpressing PAC7 will uh, push these cells towards a... In the, in the pluripotent state. Right. In the beginning. You put it in and it drives it. Well, we're, we're trying to. 
Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, very cool. Excellent. How long is the pro- how long till you get to your tissue derivative to yourself? We're actually still developing a protocol for that. Thirty days, a hundred days. Um, window. Ten. Five month ish. Thirty days. A month is okay. Yeah, month you can live with a month. About right. Three months is tough. Yeah. You yeah, don't want to wait three months for your cake to be done. It's too long. Or, or yeah. Or you don't want to wait three years for your no, you don't want to be done either. That's that's too long. (laughs) Is this your first ISSCR? Uh, Yeah, this is my first time at this conference. So that's very cool. So your first time is out out here in uh, Sweden. That's very cool. You have a very nice uh, PI that sends you out here. That's very nice. Well, so so my program was actually funded, so I was a free. Ah, that doesn't matter. I'm sure you're great. She would have sent you anyway, right? Of course. Of course. Of course. Well, listen. Thanks for taking the time out. Good luck with everything. All right. ISSCR 2015, we have Dr. Justin Achita, the, the, the living legend, Justin Achita. What's Hello. up, Justin? Hello, what's up? What's so up, what's guys? going on, man? Tell us your stem cell story. I mean, so how's life as an assistant prof out west? How you, how you, how's that been transitioned for you? Uh, it's good. You know, I think it. you know, <laughs> now that it's like the beginning of the third year, I think things are... Getting on, on it's, track. It's so know? funny because, like, <laughs> even three years in, it's like new. You know, like, it's really I, it's, new. there's just like so much to learn and like figure yeah, out. It really takes a while to like it figure does. it out. It so does. Justin came on over a year ago. Uh, right yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, starting his lab up. Yeah, and Gosh. Um, yeah, you know, if we did the interview now, I think it'd be different from last year for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. him. That's his way of saying he wants to come back on the show. So we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get him back on the show. Um, you're giving a talk. Yeah, it's giving a talk on Friday. Um, it's about uh, we've used these reprogrammed neurons to figure out how this really common form of ALS and frontal temporal dementia seems to work, seems to kill kill neurons. Excellent. So that'll be in the neurodegeneration cool. session. Cool. Very, very cool. Um, so Justin was um, a, a postdoc at Harvard, uh, which is where we cross paths. He was with Kevin Egan. And then went jumped to the West Coast, um, continuing continuing some of that work, expanding on it a little bit, right? Yeah, I think you know we've, we've definitely gone. Um, we used to do a lot of reprogramming work, and now I think we're most heavily concentrated in using those reprogrammed cells to understand disease. Um, and I think it's the, the field is getting more and more mature there, and I'm seeing a lot of people now moving even forward into transplantation. Yep. Which is getting really, you know, interesting. We have a, uh, a collaborator that's a, he's a facial plastic surgeon. And so we're <laughs> doing some transplantations of motor neurons now, um, human motor neurons into animals. Really? To restore movement. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. It's interesting. That's always cool to actually see, like, fruits of your labor. Like, yeah. see, like, you know, see them work or see them, you know, actually do things. You know, we were having this conversation. We were in Iceland. We were talking about IPS cells yeah. and these reprogrammed cells, like yeah. somatic cell direct repro- direct programming and things like this. I think one of the frustrations, at least I know I have, we were talking about is with pluripotent cells, getting your pluripotent cell to your cell derivative with multiple IPS yeah. lines, yeah. lots of clones, yeah. takes a long time. And there's a lot of variability. Yes. Yes. So we were saying, like, you know, if... There's always this direct reprogram. There's always the people who are like, well, they're not real. You know, yeah, like you're, right. you're, you're making them so. And then we were saying like, look, if you got a, a cell type that does what it, you know, that, that can help you model a disease and yeah. to get there is a little bit quicker or a little, yeah. right? I mean, there's really nothing wrong with that. So, I mean, yeah. this is your model, right? You, you, you're doing somatic cell reprogramming, correct, yeah. to get to the cell type. Can you explain a little bit to everyone what that is real quick? Right. So it's, um, 
basically you identify transcription factors that guide the the formation of a specific cell type during development and instead of using signals to stimulate their expression like you do for directed differentiation you just overexpress them and they they convert the cell um, from your somatic state into the state, state that you're interested in one thing that's interesting we've found recently is that um, as you know like if you inhibit p53 during reprogramming you get a big boost in the yep. efficiency yep. So for the neuron reprogramming, what we found is that if we transiently inhibit P53, what you get is actually the formation, the induction of a neuroprogenitor-like state. That's how it really promotes the reprogramming of fibroblasts to neurons. Mm -hmm. So it goes through a precursor yeah. state. Yeah. Which people really haven't documented, have they? I'm, no, I'm no, not in the literature. It, it's not been documented, and we think that's really how it, P53 inhibition can drive the formation of neurons, and we also think that that should make probably better neurons in certain ways. And definitely functionally, if you look at the, the physiology of these neurons, they're much more mature uh, when you make them with this transient P53 inhibition versus um, just... Just without, straight up. Yeah, without. So it's actually a way to using the transcription factors to still go through a canonical development. Sure, sure. Pathway, I see what you're saying. Which is kind of interesting. Nice. So you're not yeah. jumping from one yeah. end to the other end. Yeah. yeah. This is maybe a little detail. The precursor state or that in-between state, is it patterned? In other words, yeah. is it in the realm of where your end cell type would be? Do you know those I things yet? I think in our case, it, it, I think it doesn't necessarily have to be, but one thing that probably helps for our, our case is that we see this OLIG2 factor go way up, um, which is, you know, it's highly expressed in these motor neuron progenitors. Right. But there are other factors that also... You know, NKX 6.1 also sure. goes up. But there are other factors that also go up, like SOX1. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if SOX2 goes up, but their PAX6 goes up. So you so do see some ones. sort of na some naive markers a bit, some like primitive stem cells. I don't think yeah. they're necessarily patterned, you know, specifically. But they have factors up that would probably promote further patterning into different lineages. Very cool. Um, so what is yeah. this... Uh, tumor suppressor gene doing yeah uh, that's a good question and, so you know i think that what it means is that what it's normally doing is maintaining oh what it's normally doing is maintaining you you've got to we, read we had a, we had to remind justin <laughs> to talk into the mic he was getting all like philosophical put the mic I down think, i think what it means is it's normally maintaining like uh, the differentiated state uh-huh and then you take that away and then the cell automatically becomes a lot more plastic yeah. We're seeing these progenitor genes go up for neuro neuronal progenitors or neuroprogenitors, but it could be that progenitors for different lineages are also going also, up. Yeah. Right? And so it's kind of if you remove P53, you kind of destabilize that yeah. somatic state that you're in, and then you're able to change into other states, which probably could be one reason why cancer comes up right, right, right. a lot of times when that happens. Right. I see. Right. That's yeah. cool. P53 gets around, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, does. it's bad, it's oh, bad yeah. news, but it's good news uh, when you're trying to engineer. I mean, this yeah. is what we've seen in the literature. I yeah. mean, stick yeah. to something that you know, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious to know, how is this uh, dopaminergic project going, the dopaminergic neurons for transplantation? It's, uh, it's going. It's yeah. definitely uh, stressful, but uh, Stefan, who hopefully will have him here, Irian, he's, he's keeping us on our grind, yeah. making sure all the... Uh, 
T's or cross timelines or dot it. Yeah. So yeah, heading for 2017 for sure. Yeah, and they have um, Takahashi and is 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 doing that now out in Japan, right? They they're, they're the using first IPS cell. Yeah. I saw Malin uh, Parmar in Denmark not so long ago. She was saying they're also doing something. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, actually, the dopaminergic field, the Parkinson's field, they do a really good job of getting a global, you know, having having the experts really come together and share information. So it's, yeah. you know, like, what are you doing right? What are you doing right? And how is it where? I learned that from Lorenz and Mark, and I feel right. that that's something that's great. I mean, yeah. it sounds obvious, but in, in science and competitive fields sometimes, people don't want to share. But when you're venturing into putting things into human beings, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Taking your protocol to make your cake just to eat it yeah. in the lab is one thing, but when you're going to use <laughs> the cake to, to, to help people out, there's a lot of differences. And so it's good to get that kind of global I think knowledge. That, you know, the leaders in that field, Lorenz and the others, have really taken that approach. And that's why I think you guys are so far ahead of many of the other areas and trying to transplant these cells. You well, know? let's not forget about Sally. She's also... Yeah, Sally. There's, there, there's, there's the RPE, which is going to be close. That's Sally true. will be a year and a half away from their group. Sally That's Temple true. from getting an IND to put yeah. cells wow. into eyes. Wow. So, you know, I feel that stem cells are, you know, th- based therapeutics are around, the, I don't want to say around the corner, but they're getting closer and closer. They're turning the they're corner. They're turning the corner, and yeah. I think at this meeting, hopefully we're going to hear more about translation and, and therapeutic I, and sir, things like this. Sir, there any... Um, do you feel that there are any, as far as safety of transplanting the cells, um, are we there? You know, are they going to be safe? I uh, think, you know, with the freezing and thawing, survival yeah. is uh, probably going to be an issue. But um, in terms of tumorigenic yeah. cells, it's not really an issue. Wow. So. Just because yeah. you do you purify them, or is it um, they, they're, they're just, just so homogeneous? So, yeah, exactly. They're wow. so down the line that um, it's not really an issue. That's amazing. Yeah, and Lorenz has Lorenz has some really beautiful work that he, I don't know if it's published or not, but he's talked about it um, on the sh- on the show too. Was that they can actually now when they graft or transplant the dopaminergics, the, the neurons, they integrate and hook up to the point where if you can record electrophysiologically in vivo in the wow. brain of an animal from wh- like the cortex, like where they project to, wow. and then stimulate the grafted neurons, and you can get responses in the oh, cortex. Man. So that tells you. I mean, that was a lot wow. of words it's for people that don't understand. At yeah, all. yeah. Uh, that tells you that these cells are actually biotech. hooking up these neurons in the brain, and that was always the question: Are they there just dumping good stuff, or are they actually hooking up? And it Circuit seems like trip. they're making circuits. Yeah. They're making connections, which is an awesome. Wow! Uh, yeah, it's tremendous. And That's they interesting because for the dopaminergics, I don't. Do you want them to just continuously release dopamine, or do you want them regularly? ideally on demand? You know, on demand, <laughs> on I demand, see. but. Yeah. Uh, to integrate into the circuitry. So. That's interesting. And I think we get to that point, Lorenz was saying, the fact that they're hooking up is makes them feel hopeful that because they're integrated, that they be, will become regulated. Yeah. You know, they will become self-regulated like normal. Yeah. But once they get all in, in, in the brain and hooked up, it'll just do what they normally do and release when they do. Because so, that was always the problem. If you get too much dopamine dump, you'll, yeah. be, you'll get Parkinson's-like yeah. symptoms. Well. Over too much dopamine yeah, to deplete yeah, it. You know what I mean? Like you can get like Huntington's like things and things like that. Dyskinesias, yeah. yeah. There you right. Go. So, but the um, patients that received the fetal transplants, from what I saw, they looked pretty, rem- you know, pretty when remarkably rescued. it works, it works well. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, I guess. But there's some that have not worked. Exactly. Exactly. But I've seen sure. some dramatic videos before and after. Yeah. And um, with the fetal transplants, there's also graft-induced dyskinesias that... Have been, serotonergic neurons sure. have been implicated, sure. but um, 
you know, uh, purification will probably take care of that in the yeah. future. But, uh, you know, obviously stem cells are ideal in terms of scalability. Yeah. But One thing that Yamanaka talked about in this plenary is mm. they have a basically a reporter system to purify the differentiated cells out. Excellent. That's um, what it's all about. If you have a GFP in there, is that safe to transfer? That is not safe to transfer. FDA is not letting they're not good on GFP. GFP in. Not, no. So right. I can't I can't make my GFP beer engineer the yeast to have GFP so that like when you drink the beer and then people go into the bathroom and they just <laughs> get their ear they but urinate you know it out, it's funny? glowing green. That's not a good that's not a good <laughs> that's not a good business model. They passed on the on the fish and uh, yeah, I have glowfish in my apartment. Oh wow, uh, wow. that. They glow because they took the GFP yeah. gene and put into these tetras, and so th- for some reason they passed on the fish. But Ooh. when it comes to uh, other products such as yeah. ones that go into the, the human, human body, <laughs> uh, they they're they're not keen well, I, on that. I just so. read a paper. We talked. You, you might be able to help me understand a little better. I don't know if you saw this paper about these. Um, they were microRNA switches. It was just, maybe it was just out. It was like a cell stencil or something. That's like a purification method. Yeah, it's a that's resource. the one he just talked about. Was that oh, okay. it? Oh, that's, yeah. that's the one. It's on the line. That's, that's the right. One. Yeah, I don't understand how it works though. Like, oh, what? What, it, what actually? It's essentially, um, if if you know, they know that there's a microRNA that's specifically expressed in what the cell type they want to make. So they basically make a complementary site to that mm. um, in their construct. So if the microRNA is there. It'll suppress that site on their plasmid or whatever transgenic oh, construct, and that's so driving it's like GFP. A, it's like a Rosa oh, reporter system. Yeah. So oh. yeah. it's like a shutdown. You're looking for a shutdown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so it doesn't actually. Oh, so it just drives a reporter. Yeah, it doesn't purify the lineage. I thought it was somehow like you know, no. uh, self-purified the culture oh. somehow. By well, like they do have a second version, which. Um, yeah, if by like it shuts suppressing down peripheral things, so, so like for neurons, if yeah, 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 yeah. There is another one like that. So for like neurons, if you have MIR nine or MIR one twenty four, it will bind to us to a part of the plasmid yes, and then turn yes. off a stop code yes. on, and you get IC. Okay, cool. or it'll directly suppress, you know, the transcription of that GFP. I see. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. Um, we should probably let Justin run. Um, we're gonna ha- we're gonna be hanging out, I'm sure, tonight or tomorrow. Yeah, I'm looking both forward nice. to it. Man. I haven't Me seen too, you guys man. in a long I know. time. It's always fun. It's always fun. So everybody, Justin Achita, go check him out. Just my man. Nice All talking right. to you. Brother. Yeah, you too, guys. All Thanks. Right, okay, so we are joined by Rhonda Abu Youssef, who is uh, let's see here. She's a physician as well as just finished her master's over at Karolinska in Sweden. Karolinska Institute, yep. and uh, that's that's a good place to be for stem cells, by the way. So um, tell us your stem cell story. Why are you here? Okay, actually, <laughs> I'm studying at Lunds University in the south oh, of Sweden, okay. but I came here this semester to do my thesis. I see. Ah, yeah. okay. So, but yeah, my thesis is on stem, neural stem cells. Neural. Uh-huh. We were yeah. talking to neural guys, so that's yeah. good. We're biased, <laughs> okay. too. Yeah, okay. You're in good hands. Um, and so what, what, what with neural stem cells? Uh, right, we're investigating the molecular clock in the cell cycle of neural stem cells and seeing if um, possibly there's a link between the molecular clock and the cell cycle. Control. I love me some clock. I love cellular clock, like timeless. Yeah. And these like great uh-huh. like clock. I love the cell clock. So, so explain that to me because I was just listening to an interesting podcast on what is aging. And there was this, I forget the name of the scientist who came up with this 50 cycles 
uh, you, you don't cycle more than uh, 50 times, and then it, it's kind of controversial, but they were saying, and then you go to senescence, mm-hmm. and the amount of time that takes, uh, you know, for Celta to decide to renew itself uh, varies between the species, and that's aging in mm-hmm. a dish. I mean, well, in a nutshell. So, I, don't, I, I mean, in the context of neural stem cells, um, as you probably... Uh, the listeners may not know is neurons do not divide mm-hmm. so but their precursors do yeah so uh why don't you explain that to us so just like break down tell us about game. like what the what you when you say like clock you know like yeah. well, what does that mean to the audience okay. well well that's two things that you want me to talk about like the clock which is not exclusive to neural stem cells but like basically all cells have a molecular clock <laughs> and it's like it's something that is initiated from the cent- from like the central nervous system, but there's also a lot of peripheral clocks, mm. um, and that and there's a strong link between the molecular clock of cells and when they divide. Like for example, um, it's been shown that um, in the literature that cells like to divide uh, or go through mitosis uh, in the night rather than during the day because that. That way, they avoid oxidative metabolism and they avoid free radicals that could See, be damaging. See, that's so cool to, their, to me, man. Yeah, they yeah, like know too. when it's dark. Yeah, exactly. So, is yeah. it like linked to melatonin? Is it linked to like some sort of light response? Like, how does it but know? Th- yeah, like that was what I was talking about. Like the central clock sink? from the C- yeah. from the suprachiasmatic nucleus. But it's not. But uh, but it's not only that. I mean, there's a lot of all the peripheral tissues have their own clock that are kind of semi-autonomous. Mm. So um, they're not. They're not linked to the central molecular clock of the body um, that's governed by yeah. day. I've I've actually seen reports that also like in the dish. So say you take a stem cell li- or a line from a person, depending on if they're a lark or was it it's a, an, an owl. Somebody who stays up late, their their clocks, the cells in the dish are still synced mm-hmm. specifically to that person, even though they're not connected anymore. Does that really? make sense? Yeah. I remember seeing a report about that, that uh, cells from different people say you're on a schedule where you wake yep. up, you have a night job, I have a day job. Your cells in a dish will have will be still synced to you, even though oh, really? they're no longer attached Dude, to that's you. Some, yeah. I mean, that's I guess some, that's, yeah. Like, that's some know, wacky possible, stuff. But I don't know if they'll lose that after a while because the cues, they won't have the cues, like the internal cues once they're like taken out of the body. Right. Perhaps they won't have the internal cues That's anymore. why I found it so fascinating. Yeah. If, uh, if people spend a lot of time together, do their cellular clocks sync up? <laughs> I... I <laughs> How do you I do mean, that test? I don't even know. That's something to look into, definitely. I know in college there was an all-female dorm room, and yes. that was well known. Who are hormonal? Hormonally, the the women sink. S- yeah, sink. there's their cycles mm-hmm. sink. Yeah. But I don't know if this is the same in the cycle. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of cycles in life. <laughs> so, uh, are you, you just? This is the first day of the meeting. Are you enjoying yeah. the meeting so far? Am I enjoying I, it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know it just I started. I mean. It's hard to pick and choose. Well, sure. I'm happy that like the sessions today are all like in the same room, so there's no like parallel things. Mm-hmm. Well, right. actually, in the, Those in the morning there things. were. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think the next few days there's going the next few days there's going to be like they're not all going to be they're going to be in different right. rooms. Right. That's yeah. when you really have to plan yeah. out. I know. I started doing that today. I mean, on it's the huge. It's massive. I know. So but that means that the field I is growing and more, and that's good. I mean, uh-huh. I was at the first ISSCR meeting. 
And there was no, there was sit-down dinners. That's how small it was. Okay, yeah, um, they're saying Mexico was the first one or something. No, like it was that. in Washington. Well, I don't know, but like the, f- the first formal meeting. Yeah, like when the, did it start? Oh, uh, I was a student. The, the society probably started before the first meeting, but the first meeting was something like 2002, maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, it was in D.C. I remember okay. it was very, very, very super, super, super small. And now it's gotten to over 4,000 people, so it's really, really grown. So Yeah, but uh, it's hard to... Like decide whether you should go to things that are more relevant to you, what you've been doing so far, or learn about new stuff. Yeah, Yeah, and then maybe those things can actually like you can extend or like you can yeah extend the link between you can find a link between what the new stuff and right. I mean that's how you get new ideas by exploring outside of your own like comfort zone. I agree. That's important for all you young scientists out there. Go outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much for coming to talk with us. Enjoy the rest of the conference. I hope you guys enjoy it, too. Thank you. Bye. Okay. So we have uh, Dr. Correct, Simon Hilko (laughs) from Stem Cell Technologies. Uh, Thanks for stopping by the podcast booth. Um, Tell everybody your stem cell story. So tell us how you got to uh, where you are today and what you're doing there. You're a product product manager currently. Yeah, yeah. So tell us how you got to your current position at Stem Cell Tech. Sure, sure. So I've been at uh, Stem Cell for about five years now. And uh, the first couple of years there, I was doing uh, product development, developing new media for for differentiation and, and maintenance of pluripotent stem cell. Um, but the last three years, I've been a product manager, so I've been managing the, the pluripotent products for stem cell. Cool. And, yeah. And your and your research, your science, you, you have a PhD. So, yeah. what did you do your research? Was it in the stem cell field? Yeah, yeah, on uh, pluripotent stem cell. So I, I studied at uh, Scripps Research Institute in okay. uh, Shengding's lab. Okay. So he's oh, used yeah. to. Uh, he's at UCSF now. Sure. But, uh, yeah. So I was back in uh, San Diego there. Yeah. Um, so did a lot of stuff with reprogramming, transdifferentiation yeah, as well. Did you do those uh, the the chemical factors instead of using uh, yeah. genes? You're using uh, small molecules. Yeah, yeah. So we did a fair bit of that. Yeah. Um, so specifically, the, the the one of the ones we worked on was um, transdifferentiation from M- uh, uh, fibroblasts straight to cardiomyocytes. Cool. Also oh, nice. using uh, some genetic factors and small molecules. Very very cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So. Um, so we and if everyone in the field knows the, your company, Stem Cell Technologies, sure. is there anything new you'll be talking about here at ISSCR? Uh, you know, any products or something like that? that sure, sure. Um, so uh, we have a few new things coming out um, that, that I think will be pretty exciting. So one is um, a, uh, a new reprogramming vector. It's a self-replicating RNA. So um, it's a non-integrating, so RNA based and uh, non-viral. And it's really efficient, so it seems to be uh, similar to kind of published efficiencies with replicating RNA. That sounds kind of. Uh, how do you control that? Yeah, it so it's um, basically uh, the it's uh, about a 15 kb uh, piece of RNA it encodes uh, the genes needed to replicate itself, as well as the the um, the reprogramming genes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when you do the transfection, you need to uh, keep. Um, uh, protein called B18R in your medium, which uh, 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 blocks the interferon response. Uh-huh. So uh, you keep that in there during the whole reprogramming cool. process, and then when you're when you're done, you got your iPSCs, you take out the B18R, and then uh, then the, the reprogramming vector gets uh, kicked out. Very really? cool. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's it how is very you control cool. it. Yeah. <laughs> so you have, you, have informa- yeah. you have information over at the booth? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, the other cool thing we're working on is uh, we're developing a media for, for culturing ground state or naive state cells. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so... Nice. Yeah. That's pretty neat. So um, if people want to check that out, we can... Uh, you can that's go to... That's a big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. Uh, it's, it's not... Uh, so 
The idea is to make human cells act like mouse lift dependent cells. Oh, so more yeah. like blastocyst stage, very early primitive. Uh, yeah, exactly. However, there's at least different names for them: primitive, yeah, ground stage, ground stage, stage lift, yeah, yeah. lift native dependent, <laughs> things yeah. like yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah. So the medium we we're developing, yeah. So it's a FGF uh, independent or FGF free. Sure. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, they 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 look just like MSEs, you know, they are. Uh, mouse ESLs, mouse, mouse yeah, 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 so they're uh, kind of compact, got really? that dome morphology. Uh, you can passage them with uh, like trypsin kind of thing, really, really easy to culture. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's very great. cool. Yeah, that'd be so, great. Um, and can can regu- can uh, cells that have been in FGF dependent transition okay in this? In other yeah, words, they yeah, can exactly. Go yeah, it takes it takes like maybe a couple of weeks to establish a really good um, a culture, um, mm-hmm. but then yeah, you can flip back and forth as well. You can put them back into MTzer or uh, and reestablish a primed culture. Okay. Yeah, and of yeah. course, there's MTzer. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think everyone knows about that. So yeah. you can go f- anything new with the teaser or no? You yeah, so we're uh, we're we're, uh, we're going to make that uh, GMP medium pretty soon as well. Cool. So Excellent. Yeah, just kind of. Um, not really changing anything about it, just getting like uh, some extra regulatory compliance around it. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. And stem cell tech throws a little party, I hear. It's yeah. exclusive or what? It's fairly exclusive, but I think you guys can make it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> right. We're hoping the yeah. podcast can get an invite. That's all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so you're, I know the booth. Do you know the number of the booth? Uh, yeah. B08 colon 23. All right. So yeah. 0823. You'll yeah. see stem cell te- yeah. technologies there around. Thank you so much, Simon. Sure, appreciate sure. it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, no Have a good Thanks, time. Guys. All right, we're continuing along the officially trending meeting. ISSCR 2015 is now trending on Twitter. We have a guest, uh, Andrew Minotti, from the Joslin Diabetes Center um, in Boston. It's in Boston, right? I don't know. Yeah, Boston, yeah. Boston, Cambridge. I never know, like, where is what. It's on the campus there? Or? Uh, it's in Boston. So it's by, like, Harvard Med School, uh, where, like, Children's Hospital and Dana okay. Farber are. All right. So Andrew is the you manage the core. Is that correct? I don't know what yep. you exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the IPS the IPS core. Yep, that's correct. Uh, and I know Andrew. Andrew worked with me at STEM Culture, uh, where you can go to stemculture.com and get your sustained release reagents. But um, so that's where that's where I met Andrew, and now he moved on to there. How long you been there now? Uh, almost a year. A little less than a year. A little less than a year. So tell us, t- tell everybody your stem cell story. So. I mean, I know how you got into stem cells, so, so tell people what your fascination with stem cells are, why, why you do what you do, huh. why you like the cells, why they fascinate you, I guess, is the, is the question. Well, I don't think there's really anything cooler than the fact that a whole human being can uh, come from one single fertilized egg cell. So that's, like, that's kind of what I want my career to be studying for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, uh, stem cells is probably the best uh, tool, the best model we have to kind of research that I agree. Uh, that phenomenon today so uh, point. I was naturally drawn into stem cell research after college and uh, Chris Fasano was nice enough to get me introduced to the field and uh, see what he was doing with the, the neural differentiations and uh, I still am pretty interested in, in that side of things because uh, the human brain is probably the most fascinating organ uh, that I can think of uh, yeah, we can. We we agree with you. We're biased on that. We agree yeah. agree about that. So now you're doing in the core. You're doing derivations for people. You're doing uh, I, like so. Tell us how it works. People want to make stem cell lines, and you guys help create them. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we have a clinic in uh, at Jocelyn Diabetes that recruits the patients that uh, are usually uh, for every diabetic patient we have that we want to reprogram. We try to find a 
control patient who doesn't have any uh, any type of diabetes that is otherwise similar in age and health to mm-hmm. this person. Uh, we reprogram the lines and then usually give it to the researchers. There's a number of PIs who are using stem cells now uh, for a variety of different things at Jocelyn. Uh, but we mostly just do the uh, reprogramming and uh, characterization services for them. And then sometimes specific projects people will kind of ask for help on, but it's mostly just generating the stem cells. Excellent. So what what kind of vectors, how are you reprogramming? Right now, uh, we use the Sendai virus, the Sendai. Cytotune kit, and uh, uh, we use a plasmid, uh, episomal plasmid as well, that we buy from Life Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're just starting to now explore different uh, sources for the RNA, mRNA, modified RNA reprogramming. Yes. So we just had somebody on about that, uh, yeah. talking about that over from stem cell. No, they have a that wasn't messing around. They have like this new um, uh, you something said it was a RNA. Self, RNA. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Self replicating RNA. His name is yeah. si- his name is uh, Simon Hillcove from Stem Cell Tech. Uh, I guess uh, you can go over there and check it out. It's actually you see they're just launching it. It's this new I see that, yeah. new reprogramming product. So in your you're some, <clears throat> excuse me, you're someone who does this a lot. Are we still in the stage of variability here? Every time we make lines, is that standardized a bit, or you still have to deal with that? Uh, it still line exists. Line to line, you know? It, it definitely still exists. Uh, some lines will, uh, ge- there'll be like a lot higher reprogramming efficiency. So the number of IPS colonies you get per transfected cell is pretty variable. Uh, usually a diabetic patient is quite lower than a similarly healthy individual, which is hmm. pretty fascinating to me because when hmm. I started working there, I didn't think of diabetes as like a cell, like something that like would affect the fibroblast sure. cell because uh, it's like a, something sure. of the, a, a thing of the whole organism. But uh, it's it's pretty consistently lower than its counterpart, uh, the healthy control line well, that's that is on our side. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we don't really know why. And there's no is. known, like, that's not like... There's some people kind of looking into it at Jocelyn, but... It's like we don't know. We don't know what genetic, what genes would cause that. What, what would be? The Once again, you it. separate the cells from the patient, and they still have some sort of yeah. memory of the. It's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Sometimes they like they we have like some lines that grow like really slow. Like you you have to passage them like half as often as like the the control line, like the, yeah. the sister yeah. line or brother line. Uh, some of them are like really sensitive to like being. S- split low densities there's like a lot of little like technical things that we always seem to find with the and you have to figure that out on the fly right because you know it's not like you're making new lines so it's like bringing somebody new into the room you have to figure it out yeah and it's that's definitely true another thing is that you just see so much variability like uh from many clones within the same line that it's like like sometimes you get lines that act like perfect pluripotent lines a clone from the same patient, just a different not, clone, yeah, just yeah, is yeah. bad. So, no, variability is still, uh, I guess, a problem, I would say, in the field. But you get enough, you tend to usually get enough clones and, and colonies reprogrammed that you can select a few good ones to work with for every patient. Mm. That's cool, man. Have uh, you noticed that some, some of your lines have their own sort of feel to them? Their yeah, own, like, they're, like, they're like individuals. They have, yeah. like, personalities. Yeah, some are happy, some are sad, <laughs> some are good, some are bad. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Some are defiant, you know. <laughs> some are not. Some behave, right? This sounds like a child. Yeah, like some you have to take rhyme. care of more, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, pluripotency is very much a, a spectrum. It's not just like an on and off switch. There's there's degrees of it. So let me let me put you on the spot for a sec. I'm gonna. Do What's your feel on this ground state situation? You know, like like making the cells more. You know, these these reports where you can make the pluripotent cells more blastocytic. You know, the lift dependent. Uh, non-FGF dependent pluripotent cell like stem cell technologies is now offering a media they said that that can you know you can take your cells and make them more blastocytic it's always been my my thing that I only needed to make what I want right Right, so like why do I need to change this change the whole starting cell but I think Austin Smith was the one that said uh, it, it might help level it might help decrease variability because if you can go all the way back you know, like it puts your back against the wall type thing, then you have to start from there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, are you, do you, you use these cells at all, or you thought about it at all, or no? I haven't used it, and uh, I'm a little. I'd be kind of surprised if it caught on because everybody wants to keep everything standard, standardized with each other across the field. So, anytime I see a new thing like this come out, I, I mean, you want everything to be reproducible in your lab, sure, to the next lab, and. It makes it difficult to jump that way. I mean, but if if that is a way to, if everything turns out to be kind of more standardized on that, if that's a more stable way of of having your cells cultured, if if things are more reproducible like that, I could see it taking off. But yeah, I, I, I guess some people report that um, if you transfect or something, uh, the the cloning efficiency is better in these in these in the more lines. Ground, yeah. But I, you know, I. I haven't really seen I don't know. any major benefit of, like you said, being pushed against the wall versus your, yeah. you know, how stem cells have been for the last 15 Plus, years. Plus, I always use the recipe analogy, you know, like differentiation from pluripotent cells requires a specific recipe. Well, that recipe is going to change because the primitive cells, these uh, naive. naive ground state cells, they require different signals. To maintain them. So we know that our cell, pluripotent cells, require FGF. These do not. So that means that if you want them to exit and differentiate, you can't just, you know, you can't just throw on TGF-beta antagonists yeah. because to them, TGF-beta does something different in that state. So you kind of have to tweak your whole differentiation protocol. And uh, no one's really going to... I mean, maybe they will. Again, I guess it's what's what do you get? If the reward is better, like you, it standardizes it that much, maybe it's worth it. But I just don't know enough about. That's why I asked you. I don't know if you were doing it in the in the lab at all. It's it's generally really hard to get researchers to change what is working for them when they're three years into a project. So yeah. I I'd be kind of surprised if it did. But I'm curious to see what people's experiences with it are. Yeah, well, we'll definitely tease yeah, this out over time. I yeah, mean, I know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an, biologically, I think it's important because I think there, you know, why the e- human ES cell is not like that, why it's not primitive, why it's not like the mouse ES cell. That's a fascinating biological question. Mm. Uh, but in terms of uh, technical stuff, I'm, I'm, you know, that I don't, I, I probably won't make the jump. That's for sure. I don't know that. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, doing this quick little interview with us. You've definitely earned your T-shirt. Yeah, man. Enjoy. <laughs> Rock that stem cell podcast T-shirt. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. Okay, we're joined here by Bjarki Johannesson. Did I say that right? That's correct. All hey. right, he's a postdoc in Dieter Eagley's lab, who we've had on the post on the on the postdoc on the on the podcast before. Um, you could check out that episode on our website. And uh, yeah, so Bjarki, tell us what you're working on and uh, what 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 brings you to the ISSCR 2015. Right. So what I've been working on uh, this past year is. Um, 
comparing SCNTs to IPS uh, cell lines and nice. uh, just having a look at sort of um, if any of the so the aberrations that have been described for IPSCs uh, also hold true for SCNTs. Okay, so we should somatic cell nuclear yes. transfer. Yes, enucleating an egg and putting it in the nucleus of a mature cell, like from skin, and reprogramming it the old-fashioned way, the way Dolly was cloned. Yep. Uh, or versus the Yamanaka way, which is IPS cells. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, it's, it's a major thing to do because everybody wants to know what is the difference between ES and IPS. Right, so the, the surprising result was uh, in the assays that we ran, they were quite similar, actually. Ah. Uh, the hypothesis was that the SCNT science would be um, of higher quality and, and uh, would be identical to embryonic stem cells. Yeah. Um, but we, we found that, again, in the assays that we, we looked at, they were very similar. Excellent. So that's so. Explain to everybody why um, is there something sp- particular about where you work that allows you to do this kind of research? Because you know, uh, SCNT and eggs and things like this sometimes uh, in academic environments could be difficult. So explain to everybody a little bit where you are. Right. So I, I work at the New York Stem Cell Foundation, and uh, it's unique um, in the extent that uh, we're largely funded by uh, private money uh, by philanthropy. And that uh, our institute was started um, back when the regulation around stem cells was very restrictive. And the Bush era, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, we can uh, say it. You can say Bush here. It's okay. We know. We know what happened. <laughs> so <laughs> that allowed uh, people to do uh, the research that was not uh, funded through uh, federal money, basically, and, uh, and allowed that research to progress even, even uh, when, yeah, when the authorities were, were against it. Yeah, the New York Stem Cell Foundation. We we know well. They do. Uh, they've done a great job. They continue to. They keep continue to grow, um, and and are doing things. And they they raise a lot of money uh, and really do a lot for the field. I was lucky to be a part of the fellowship program early, uh, which really helped me out. So, um, and I know Dieter is great. Dieter's Dieter. We just bumped into him out there. By yeah. the way. Like he yeah. looked. He looked like he was just stumbling around. I said, Dieter, what are you doing, man? Uh, I'm gonna have to get Dieter a shirt. I think. Yeah, definitely. I have to get Dieter share. So, um, you have any plans in Stockholm or just the meeting? Are you going to go do some sightseeing? Just the meeting. I, I uh, went to visit my brother who lives uh, up in uh, north of Sweden uh, oh, nice. over the weekend. So oh, that that's was, nice. Uh, so, the two, two flies with one rock. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, twofer. That's nice. Well, um, you see anything uh, special so far? Any great talks or posters? I mean, the plenaries today were, were great. Um, yeah, I missed I missed it. They were a little uh, public, mostly published data. Um, that's true. That's true. But no, one, no one wants to show their cards, you know? Yeah. Uh, sure. I'm, I, I'm hoping the poster session will uh, maybe reveal so. some interesting things. I think so. I know I know our buddy Paul Tazar takes a big stand on uh, presenting published work. I, I just saw him tweet something already that said, I'm, pu- I'm presenting new data. Are you? Question mark. Hashtag <laughs> like ISSCR like 2015. We need to get more of that. Yeah, so <laughs> I know he's a big proponent of if it's not new, don't talk. And uh, I understand why people don't. I get it. But uh, I- I'm more of a we need to be collaborating and knowing what's going on. But anyway, we appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the meeting. All Thank right? you, guys. All right. Okay, so we're now in the, what are we in, like 6 o'clock point. This is the opening ceremony. There's wine, people, scientists are drinking. 
Yep. We should sound an alarm. Alcohol and science. Alcohol and science. It's a good mix. It's a good mix. It really is. We have Muhammad here with us. He's from UCLA. Yes. So, and your last name, tell him, can't see it. Asani Nia. Asani Nia. Yeah, it's kind of weird to pronounce. Asani Nia. Did I say that right? Yeah. All right, good. Perfect. So, Muhammad, tell us your stem cell story. Tell us what you do and why you're into stem cells. Okay. um, So, I'm originally from a university called CSUN, which is uh, Cal State in uh, Northridge. And uh, I got into this program called uh, the Bridges Program. And it's pretty much just a program funded by CIRM mm. where they get uh, bachelor students or, or master's students and they send them to a lab in, in UCLA that's focusing on stem cell research. And, yeah, that's cool. Uh, so for the past year, I've just been working in a lab and just getting units towards my degree for it. And, uh, and the reason why I think it's awesome and the reason why I think it's amazing and important is because it's it's literally like the future of medicine. It has so many applications that that are so far reaching, and it's this is all just the beginning of it. So I think that that's so why it's ground floor, right? We're uh, getting uh, in on ground, ground floor. So, yeah, so like yeah. we're we're all we're all witnesses right now to something that's going to be great. I mean, like theoretically speaking, like there's so much that can happen with stem cells. All we need to do is just go out and grab it. I like so. it. He's got the grand vision going. I on like here. to see that excitement. I like yeah. that for all you young scientists out there. So this yeah. is your first ISSCR, or yeah, this is my first. Yeah, and you, you, you're out here. It's a long trip. Did you? Is there a grant or a scholarship, or did your boss nicely pay for you to come out all, all this way? Um, so my university promised to reimburse me. So <laughs> hey, you, listen, UCLA, you better promise. take care of this kid. All right, he, he's doing hard work out here. Let's take yeah. care of him. Uh, anything in particular interests you in the field? I mean, are you? Ever um, partic- I really like hematopoietic stem cells, and I really like uh, the field of immunology. Oh, you and got taught to Daylon. I know I think he was that just it here. has uh, really far-reaching stuff because it's one of the original stem cell therapies. Is yeah. it the yeah, classic, it really is. the most successful, the that, one really? Yeah, that's that's, yeah. That, that's that's pretty much what I work with. I work with uh, modeling a gene therapy strategy. Very okay. very cool. And have you seen a uh, great talks or posters? Anything that's wowed you so far? Or um, something that I really like to see was uh, I saw um, Wiseman get an award today. Herb, and, yeah. And yeah, uh, actually, I saw him talk at UCLA literally like maybe a few weeks ago. And I was just like wowed because he's a really cool guy. He just seems like a really yeah. cool guy up there. He's like the jolly yeah. stem cell. He's like the jolly there. guy who just knows everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought that was really cool. Yeah, he is, we, yeah. He, he we just we just talked about him on the show last episode. He had yep. a nice little article about himself. Um, well, Muhammad, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you don't listen to the Stem Cell Podcast, I hope you will start to listen to the Stem Cell yeah, Podcast. Yeah, I definitely um, will. And uh, we appreciate you taking some time. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest of the meeting. Good luck with everything. All right. Thank you. All right. Man. Yeah, man. So we 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 found the crowd favorite. I'm <laughs> back, baby. Doctor Daylon James has made it all the way across the pond. To be with the Stem Cell Podcast, uh, DJ, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Always my favorite podcast to do. So we were we were in Iceland. We had a we had a little uh, stem cell kind of mini summit in the in Iceland with a bunch of stem cell researchers and previous guests. We enjoyed Iceland. Did you enjoy it as well? I really enjoyed it. It was the ISSCR unofficial warm-up, our official Yeah, warm-up. it was our stem cell podcast warm-up. <laughs> we threw a little warm-up. It was the warm-up. It, it threw some cold water on my marriage, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm missing <laughs> my, uh, my, my kid's second birthday. The other one graduated kindergarten oh. and is about to lose a tooth. So 
I'm in the doghouse. Listen, but. that's important, but it's not as important as stem cell research. It's not. You know, I'm trying to save. I'm trying to save some lives here. You know, bacterial. Oh, God forbid. You know, you turn two once, but you know. Listen, you're sacrificing for the greater good of the community. I think. I, I think I'm everyone will understand. Sacrificing a healthy marriage. Yes, you are. That's okay. Those always get back on track. So I was telling Daylon we just interviewed somebody who was interested in hematopoietic stem cells, which, you know, uh, I feel like. They're they're kind of a rare breed amongst all the neural folks here. Yeah, so no, I'll I, tell you what happens with hematopoiesis. They seem rare, but everybody gives it a shot, and they just get demoralized and defeated, and then maybe they move to neural or something else. But there's about six or seven posters you'll see here that talk about engraftment. Six or seven. That's it. Well, I would say that's a lot because the claims are going to be that you have long-term engraftment or long-term oh, yeah. engraftment. But it's really hard to firm that up. And I think it's a story that a lot of people chase because it's this holy grail. But it's, I mean, I'm sure you guys have an equivalent in neural. But it's one of those things that everybody tries. It seems like it's attainable, but it's not uh, low-hanging fruit by any means. So I I tried to do this once with Daylon, and this is not easy. They take an injection of uh, uh, whatever the cell type and inject it into the femur, right? Directly into the femur. Yost actually, right off the bat, this is a guy who's done a lot of surgeries with injecting in a bone, clearly. Did I just say that? (laughs) What? Um, Anyway, he knocked it out, and the technique was all right, but the cells just don't get the job done. They don't. Did I just say that? They don't. Yeah! They do not. But... It's crazy how you check for that, too. You do those eye bleeds yeah, where you... it's uh, gruesome. These poor mice. Total blood volume of mouse, three milliliters. That's it? Yeah. That's and it? Yes. Is that was, really the total blood volume of mouse? I was yes. thinking at least five or nuts? ten. Yeah, for humans, it's like a thousand times that, so... Wow. Uh, it's a totally People are watching you give this interview with funny faces right now. Looking at that, that woman give you a sni- snide remark there. <laughs> she went like this. She gave you, the she gave you a pigeon eye. We don't uh, look like the most uh, reputable characters. So, so, so tell me how, and like, you know, give, your, give, give everyone like a quick synopsis of how's your work in the lab going. You want something hot? It's like you got really some well. brew? So after hematopoiesis, after we banged our head against the wall, we actually got a good story out of that, but... Uh, I moved into another endothelial subtype. You know, I was working on the hemogenic endothelium before. Hematopoietic stem cells originally come from endothelium, and now I'm looking at another type of endothelium, which is the heart. The heart has, a, has its own endothelial cells, and they have a specific character, just like endothelium in the brain. It's like really nice tight junctions for the blood-brain barrier. The heart has its own elements that make it specific, and I'm trying to understand in development how you go from being a cardiac progenitor into a cardiac endothelial cell. The idea there is if we can twist or convince the body when post-heart attack, when the scar is forming, if we can Mm -hmm. convince that process or kind of um, augment that process to make it a more vascularized wound healing process instead of a scar which is just dead, that maybe we could improve outcomes post MI, post myocardial infarction, to get healthier tissue and healthier recovery. So, how do you induce uh, myocardial infarction in a mouse? In a mouse, so you gotta just make feed it like a lot of fatty foods. Well, so there's the there's high fat models for I mean heart disease more uh. generally, but the actual infarct is a blockage okay. in, the, in the body, and so what you have to do is simulate a blockage, and the way that we do that is that you ligate a vessel, you tie off 
a vessel, the left Carotid? anterior descending coronary artery. Okay, it's called a uh, LAD, uh, and you ligate that, you tie it off, and that starves the whole left ventricle of okay. blood. And so it's just like what happens in a heart attack or stroke. The tissue is starved of blood. You get ischemia, death. The difference is most tissues, they recover. The heart, not so much. You just get a scar. So. I see. I so see. we stimulate that, and then we tie, close the mouse. Before we close, either we inject cells directly into the infarct zone, or we let them recover for two weeks and then come back at them with the cell dose. So. I see. So there's two different ideas there, though. One is how can we get the heart to heal after a heart attack, and then there's more like what we do. How can we deliver cells in there to, to create a graft, you know, that'll be more functional? We're working so on these, both ends of these that. these cells don't divide. Like, I know neurons don't divide and cardiomyocytes don't divide, right? Yes, although... Cardiomyocytes don't divide? They do. So just, just recently, they don't... The dogma for years... Uh, was that there was no turnover in the brain. You guys know that that's not true. And the heart just recently, by the same methods, was shown to have turnover. And just recently, the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple papers talking about uh, turnover in the heart. So there was this classic Karolinska study where they look at C14 from fallout, yeah, 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 yeah. which is a beautiful, elegant study I want to elaborate on. But just now in Nature, a couple of days ago, they published showing that the hypoxia is an inducer of cardiac turnover. And they did so this really nice lineage tracing to show that there's a population of cells that are just like neonatal progenitors. So the great thing about the heart is that it doesn't heal. But if you're a newborn mouse, you can recover from total apical resection. You cut off the tip of the heart and it grows back no scar. And in an adult, that wow. doesn't work because those cells, the, the stem cells in the heart, uh, lose that kind of capacity. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So this is a really hot topic in regenerative medicine, activating endogenous stem cells, right? So, so right. for example, in the RPE, which is with Sally Temple's whole uh, and Jeff Stern, their discovery was like in the salamander, they can they have this ability to regenerate like in the eye they can repro- they can produce new but for some reason it lost its capacity. Why is that? Well, what they found is that in fact in the eye in the RPE. It's, it's quiescent and static. They don't turn over. However, if you remove them from the niche or, or you, you take them out of their element, they're capable of actually dividing and producing and turning over. Where I'm going with that is it may be that in, in a static view there's no turnover, but they're capable. They're right. just being suppressed or harnessed. So if you can go in and manipulate them endogenously, I don't know if that's something you're interested in. Like so in why vivo. is that, though? Let's say teleologically speaking, what's the reason why they, they need speaking to Speaking to that be- mic, son. Why do you think that is, that until you remove them? Why are they actively suppressed? Cancer, I guess? I think so. I think idea? it might be just a mechanism of, like, out-of-control, aberrant proliferation. The body shuts it down. Uh, there's, there's no need for it to turn over for its function, right. so they shut it down. But they can evolutionarily have have this ability. Right. And and I don't understand now why people are so again. I feel like, you know, you break dog when you're like, oh, these cells, they don't turn over. There's no progenitor cell there. Like, ah. But why? Like, I, why not? Why isn't there? Maybe there are. Like you said, they're just locked down. But if you can reactivate, well, uh, I, I, I think I was it. talking about mature cardiomyocytes. Yes. So they do not exactly divide, right. much don't. like mature neurons uh, do not divide. Yes. There are clearly neural stem cells, so, germinal zones. And I have to give a plug for what I was talking about before with the limit the, of the, clock? the, the hay, hay flick limit is what I was referring right. to before this uh, concept of 
cells not dividing past a certain amount, mm. uh, both in vitro and I guess in vivo. But that's controversial, so let's not talk about that. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, in, I'm glad you've moved on from the f- femur grafts and are now working on uh, heart attacks. Yeah, I mean it's it's a huge there's a huge need there, and it's wide open. It's like you say, I mean there's there's been so much dogma that I, I think it's ready to turn over. Uh, but that's science. Dogma should be broken or challenged. Well, let's, let me ask you this. Would you ever say never in science? No, I can't. Anything? It's impossible. I, mean, I feel like that's suicide. Isn't why, that... Why? Isn't that why put yourself out there? That's just why... That's the point. Like, you can never prove something in yeah, science, you right? You can never prove the negative. Right. right. So, so I, the never thing, I never... Uh, never, never... Are you saying don't? I don't even like to say it don't. It doesn't do that, this right? This doesn't happen. Right. You know, my old and, mentor and we said... We don't see that. My old mentor had a great saying, which is kind of convoluted if you look at the words, but he said, okay, you've shown me what the cells can do, but now you've got to show me what the cells do do. And I think that's kind of the opposite of what, what we're talking about. And there's, there's infinite potential, as IPS and all direct programming will tell you, that cells can do a lot of things that they don't actually do in physiology. And I think what we need to be thinking about in terms of disease and reversing things, these niches where there's no turnover... Forget about what they don't do in physiology. Try and exert some what kind of pressure do, yeah. to, to make them do what right. they might do. Right. Put the pressure the right on. Place. Well, maybe you could use a, a sort of an anchorman sort of uh, analogy where you say 10% of the time it works all the time. Yes. <laughs> That's the only time you can say it works all the time because, the, you know, it just doesn't happen pretty much. I mean, so. So this is, just digress for a sec, this is your first ISSCR for a while, right? Yeah, I think the last one I went to was with you in San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah. So have you seen the growth? I mean, there's a lot of people here, yes, right? it's amazing. I mean, these booths, it's the interest. I think that's great. You see a lot of people who are younger. You know, I see a lot of people that don't have advanced degrees, people who aren't even in grad school. I, I was talking to someone who was just graduated from college and was interested in stem cells, and I'll bet there's a big population of those types here, or more so than there have been in the past, so... Well, we just we just talked to uh, a guy who is, is an undergrad or is a master's student. He was yeah. fired up, man. He's he like really yeah. fired up about stem cell research. Like what they, yeah, love it. This is a, uh, we had Andrew Minotti on. He's a technician. He's a manager of a cord. His his statement was like, I find it fascinating. There's one cell and one cell that can give rise to a whole human. Right. And how that happens, I want to understand. So it's it's that it's it's that it's that intrigue. Like what what. What are these cells? You know, what are they doing? It's trending right now. The meeting worldwide. Trending up. ISSCR the meeting. You mean twenty fifteen? Yeah, on Twitter, it's trending. Wow, so. that's amazing. Daylon's hard on Twitter, right? I don't get on Twitter so much. But <laughs> I got to develop that part of my game for sure. <laughs> so, what are we going to get into tonight? Are we going to go out in the town or what? I don't know. You know, coming out of Iceland, does it get dark in Sweden? No. No. Oh, not. Jesus. Not. It might get darker. I'll tell you when night falls back in the states. I'm gonna. Crash Same and burn. A few thankful prayers. Yeah, I, I, mean, know. I need some sleep, my friend. I, know. I can't <laughs> I sleep know. in the light. Might need a recharge night. Yeah, yeah I, I think I need a recharge night well, for sure. Well, keep us updated if you see any hot, you know, hematopoiesis. Any, for sure. You know, we're, 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 we're probably going to be looking for neuro posters or talks. You guys are neuralists. Yeah, we try to be. We try to be. We try to be diverse for the podcast, but we have a uh, an internal bias that's hard to shake. No, you. I mean, listen, it's reflective of the scientific community. So I think you guys are inclusive of all types. It's just there's a lot of neural out there. Let's be honest. People love the brain. It's because neural's where it's at. It is. Without you, don't need a heart if you got no brain. (laughs) It's like the cowardly lion who had no heart. The Tin Man. It was the Tin Man. Yeah. Right. The Tin Man was was more sympathetic. 
Yeah, yeah the scarecrow is an idiot. <laughs> but he didn't Same have a brain, right? If I only had yeah, a brain. Yeah, the scarecrow is the brainless one. I don't know. I'd rather... I'd rather have... I'd rather be the tin man. <laughs> of course uh, you would. Definitely of course you would. All right, <laughs> all right man. So keep us Later, updated. Brother. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we are joined here by Devin Inez from UC Riverside over in Moreno Valley, California. And uh, she just came over. She was uh, never, I guess you've never podcasted before. So uh, Welcome to the club. I didn't know you yeah. were here. <laughs> Welcome to the club. It's, uh, so tell us about yourself. Are you a grad student, postdoc? I am a graduate student. I'm a fifth-year graduate student at UC Riverside in Nicole Zerneden's laboratory. Fifth okay. year. You're seeing the light. Are you seeing the light at the end Sometimes. of the tunnel? Sometimes. <laughs> yes. I have some days yes. where I That's do. That's the best answer. I love Sometimes. that. That should be a shirt. Are you seeing the light? Sometimes. <laughs> so uh, what are you working on in the lab? So my lab is a wind beta catenin signaling lab. So nice. we work on uh, signaling um, in, well, that particular signaling with uh, bone development and glucose metabolism. And oh, nice. I work on that signaling pathway in relation to microRNAs and how those microRNAs regulate that pathway to promote bone development. Okay. Great. So we say that <laughs> we Wint's say what can't Wint do? Wint's involved in everything, That's very which true. is why its regulation is so important. That's very true. So, um, I mean, I don't know how we could, for like a lay audience, explain to what what Wint, Wint signaling is. We just say it's one it's one of the major signaling pathways in the right, in the, in right. the, in the organism. So pretty much, beta catenin is a transcription factor that has a whole bunch of targets. I think the important thing to remember about beta catenin is that it is. Uh, depending on what point in time of differentiation it's expressed, it has different functions. So, you know, it's, it's involved in maintaining pluripotency in embryonic stem cells, um, yet when you differentiate, if it's expressed again in another wave yep. at a later time period, it promotes differentiation, and yes. even at a later time period yep. than that, it promotes osteogenesis. So uh, it, it's, it's a wave pattern kind of protein. This is what I love. Tell everybody what Wint it like stands like, where where it's it got wingless, its name right, from. It's right? wingless, and I actually don't remember what the T comes from, but they initially discovered in Drosophila, and they found yeah. that the when they fly. knocked it out, they have no wings. No wings. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to name a gene. I've always talked about this. Like Sonic Hedgehog? Yeah, like give it something funny. You should have been a, a fly geneticist then because they seem to get to name all the proteins. There's still time. Maybe I can switch there and just get into fruit fly genetics. You can do this like part-time and go be a fly geneticist on the other time. Thing is, I have too many part-time, 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 part-time. I need to kill <laughs> some part-time. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe in another life I'll do wingless. In, there, uh, you go. Software. there you go. This Tell is your, your kids, you have to be wingless scientists. You have to be wingless scientists. <laughs> is this so your first ISSCR? This is. It's the first time I, my first international conference, actually. Probably my last, but oh, yeah. why do you got to have that? one. This is just your Don't first. Yeah, you're one the future of, of the field. One of many. One of many. So, we'll uh, so far, what have you seen? Any uh, presentations or posters that sort of wowed you or knocked your socks off? I actually just got out of socks, a. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got out of a talk that um, a lady from Dresden did on um, limb regeneration. Okay. So you know that that salamander yep. that regenerates its limbs if you chop them off. Yep, we were just talking about that. Uh, yeah, he, they did one where they talked about they're just trying to figure out exactly why they do that or how they do that, and they yeah. were talking about these different. Uh, she, I think she called it the borderline theory or something like that, where you have a, a border between the anterior and posterior, and if you switch that around, they do regenerate extra limbs because every place that you have that border, that seems to be where they're really? it's being directed that they regenerate these limbs. And actually, Sonic Hedgehog seems to be the director of that. 
So we classically think of Sonic Hedgehog as a, a, a patterning uh, yeah, gene pattern, in early yeah. development or um, uh, in neuronal development, but seems to be limb development as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I knew somebody who worked on that in the mouse. They uh, did limb development with Sonic. And uh, it was in uh, not Catherine Anderson. Um, what's her oh, name? Oh, Alex Joyner. Alex Joyner's lab. Yep. Yeah. So uh, I definitely learned something. I didn't actually think that Sonic Hedgehog and limb development were necessarily hand in hand. Right. No pun intended. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, there you go. Yes. 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 So uh, Sweden, you've never been, I'm assuming. I have not. Are you going to explore a bit? I think so. You I should. I got in last night and it was late, so I didn't get out. And then today I was working on something and I didn't get out. But I promise I'm going to get out tomorrow. You should make sure you taking some science and taking some sights. Yes. And now you're subscribed to the Stem Cell Podcast. I am now subscribed. This is amazing. I didn't know you actually guys had this. Kind make of thing sure you on. tell your friends. I will. And My uh, she's getting a T-shirt, so she's uh, definitely getting a T-shirt. I'll wear it to work when Stay I go short. home. Yes. <laughs> yes. Spread that love on the West Coast. Thank oh, you so yes. much for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Enjoy your meeting. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so uh, we're joined here by Goizden. Gozde. 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 No G. Gozde. No, I think I got it. Gozde. Gozde. Yeah, Gozde. Just say it fast enough. It's visiting. She's visiting here from Turkey. What's your last name? Aydın. Aydın. And where are you from? I'm from Ankara Hecatepe University. Okay, great. And uh, you were telling us before, because we had to actually re-record this because of a microphone <laughs> problem, yeah. but uh, that you work with mesenchymal stem cells, is that correct? Yeah, mesenchymal and hematopoietic stem cells. Okay, so tell us uh, what you work on in the lab. You're a um, PhD student? Yeah, I'm a PhD okay. student in stem cell sciences department. Um, I am isolating mesenchymal stem cells from human bone marrow and mm. uh, human fetal uh, tissues like placenta from amnion, vartons jelly from chorion. And um, I'm also working with cord blood and isolating uh, human hematopoietic stem cells from there. Okay. And you say you engraft them into uh, immunocompromised mice? Yeah, actually, I am trying to a uh, way to increase home and engra- engraftment of hematopoietic stem cells after bone marrow transplantation. So I am doing some in vitro uh, co cultures uh-huh. and uh, trying to optimize the first uh, expansion, ex vivo expansion of hematopoietic stem cells. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I want to uh, more gets commonly for it progenitor uh, differentiated lineage so that afterwards when I give to not skip mice maybe I can improve the homing engraftments and I can maybe more get lymphohemopoiesis because oh, daylight, afterwards yeah, yeah afterwards we want to do a gene therapy for skid patients okay. and lymphohemopoiesis is really important for them because they don't have BT and K cells mm-hmm. and they need uh, bone marrow transplantation plus gene therapy for other skid patients so if i can uh, increase hormone engraftment of cells and more lymphohemopoiesis will increase the survival of the patients so we talked about this before yep. once the bubble boy syndrome yep. is, yeah bubble boy syndrome Bubble Boy yeah. Seinfeld, Bubble Boy yeah. Syndrome. Yeah. So you're a grad student, is that right? Graduate student. No, I'm I'm still a doctorate student. A, do- a doctorate student. Yeah. About how many years in the in are you? How many years have you well, been? Uh, is it different? I'm just trying to understand yeah. how it's different than in in the U.S. In my country, it's um, between five and six years. You finish the doctorate. But there's no time limits. Like you can finish seven years, but uh, it's a very long time. 
because we are taking two years in the beginning only lectures. Oh, wow. And then we have to pass the PhD proficiency exam by oral and written. Okay. Wow. And then afterwards, experiments, uh, lab, laboratory yeah, analysis is coming for uh, four or five years, three, four, three and between five years. So you, okay, so you're towards the end, though. You're, yeah, you're actually, I'm on my fourth year. I passed the PhD proficiency exam. Now I am on my fourth year and probably... Uh, one and a half or maximum two years left to finish. That's great. Are you presenting any of your work here? you have a poster or you're just here to view? No, actually I did a presentation in European Bone Marrow Transplantation Congress at Istanbul. So I didn't bring uh, anything here, but I sent for ESGCT for in Finland next year. Uh, actually in September, I think. I sent my work to ESGCT. <laughs> Very, very cool. So are you having fun so far at the conference? Yeah. It's early. I mean, it's only yeah, it's the first so, day. It's so good to be here. Yeah. It's so good to be here. And uh, I'm, I'm enjoying a lot. It's a nice atmosphere here. Well, that, you have to make sure you tell everyone back uh, in Turkey about the Stem Cell Podcast and make sure they go and check it out because well, they're going to hear yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Of course I'm going to tell. They're going to yeah. hear you now. Yeah, so I got a t-shirt. Yeah, I got a t-shirt. And you're going to wear it. I got a t-shirt. All right. Well, enjoy yourself at the meeting. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Thank Take you. care. Okay, so we have a sort of a double treat here. We, we do. Uh, Kiesuke Kaji from the MRC Center of Regenerative Medicine in Edinburgh, And uh, I just met him with Malin Parmar here, and she tells me he is, he is just the best-kept secret over here. So. Uh, right, we have the best-kept secret live. <laughs> at ISSC. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us about your lab, uh, what you work on, and uh, what your stem cell story is. Yeah, I work on that. To understand the mechanism of uh, reprogramming, how cell become uh, iPS cell. Okay. So that's our focus. Nice, nice. So, are you doing that with the Yamanaka factors or yeah. small molecules? Uh, or? Using Yamanaka factor. Okay. Yeah, people know how to make iPS cells, but people don't know why cell become iPS cell. That's oh, okay. our question. So, the mechanism of how they convert back? Yes, exactly, during the process. So, when we publish story, is a uh, Reprogramming is not necessarily tracing back the normal development process. Mm. So they do completely different mm-hmm. way back there. Yeah. Really? Mm. That's very, yeah. very, very People cool. don't pay it's, attention it's much. It's actually true. You know, you think about this a lot. The field of IPS cells has gone to where it's gone, right? Yeah. I mean, but really what's actually going on mm-hmm. is not really as known, right? So we... We were worried. We're working on how to push them back forward and uh-huh. get them to where we need them to go. But yeah. how they actually journey yeah. back, if they're really, you know, going backwards or not, you know, like you're saying, is yeah. is really not known. Now that yeah. I'm actually thinking it's about this, interesting and exciting. Uh, it's not written in a new uh, textbook yet, so we want to m- make uh, information. Right. I mean, bi- the from the biological textbook. standpoint, that's incredibly intriguing. Like yeah. how. How can a cell do that? Yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how is it that that happens? Because it yeah. seems... I mean, to the very lay person, when you tell them about mm. reprogramming, right, they, they, the first is. thing they say is, how can that happen? Yeah, like, uh, how does that happen? Yeah, I need to answer. And I, the we answer don't know. is we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very, true. very cool. <laughs> hmm. Great. So are you giving a talk here? Uh, or? My student is giving a talk on Friday. Okay. That's great. already quite interesting. Uh, starting uh, this reprogramming process, uh-huh. we found one molecule which accelerates this reprogramming. Mm-hmm. But uh, this also helps uh, trans differentiation. That's okay. what uh, uh, mind will help. Yes. Okay. So if we top up together with IN factor, mm-hmm. uh, fiber blast become neuron very fast. Really? Yep. Excellent. 
So very uh, very cool. Jumping a the hurdle there. With yeah, that's very cool. How yeah. fast is very fast? Uh, so usually we need uh, 50 days to get the mature functional neuron. Mm-hmm. But using this factor, become uh, it become 25 days. Wow, so cuts it in half. It wow. saves the postdoc life, no? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the postdoc life. No, but you know, this is another thing. We were talking about this a lot. We were we before we were here. We were in Iceland with some friends, and we were talking about this. We're talking about the um, you know getting the cells to where they need to go uh, in a reliable, reproducible mm-hmm. manner, uh, and sometimes that can take. Uh, a long time. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah. You know, the question is, um, with a lot of lines, people, the amount of work people are doing and a lot of scope, it could become very tedious and cumbersome yeah. and, and take a long time and a lot of reagents yeah. as well. So so uh, who's uh, in your lab is giving the talk? Uh, Tyson Ruet. Tyson Yeah. Ruet? Okay, great. Yeah. Um, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Friday. Okay, great. Cool. Thank and, you very uh, much you. for taking some Thank time. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, and thanks for coming. And up. now we have uh, Dr. Marlon Palmer, who is. Uh, are we going to continue to go through? You yeah, want to stop? Continue on. Um, uh, cool. But this is just this is new to us. That's why we don't normally have like back to back. Marlon's um, uh, been on the show, a very popular show, one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, well, um, I would hope so. They're very very <laughs> popular. Um, so, uh, how is your uh, stem cell experience so far? It's the first day of the meeting. How's it been going for you? You should yeah, introduce. She's uh, from Lund. She's from Lund. Yes, I'm from sorry, Lund. Sorry, I assume so everybody knows. I'm sorry. It's almost my home. It's uh, at least in my home country, which is really nice to see uh, ISSR in Sweden. Mm. The meeting so far has been great. Uh, mm. I thought the plenary sessions were excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's always a good time to catch up with old friends like Kay here that uh, we met uh, during my postdoc in Edinburgh. And he's doing a fantastic job. And now, uh, 10 years later almost, uh, we have this very exciting project together that, uh, that is very good. See, that's, that's great. I think that's one of the best things that happen at a meeting, at meetings, is getting back together with people that you've worked with or you come across or friends in the field. And uh, if you can collaborate and come back and work together, I think that's great. I really think that's one of the best things about a meeting is Absolutely. interacting with people in yeah. the field, right? Trying to foster collaborations and, and friendships and networks. Absolutely. And ISSR is such a good meeting for that because you have the... Usually I hang with the uh, dopamine people yeah. or at least the neural people. Uh, and Kay is uh, very heavy into the uh, IPSL reprogramming and, uh, and mechanistic studies. So, uh, so this meeting brings uh, very many different uh, specialties of uh, stem cell biology all together in one place, which is great. So speaking of dopamine, uh, let's talk about what you're working on now in the lab. Um, I, I, I guess you're not giving a talk because you gave one, what was it, last year or the year before? Uh, in Boston two years ago. In Boston ago. two years ago. So uh, we won't be hearing from you on the big stage, but uh, perhaps you could highlight what's uh, going on in your lab here on the podcast. Yeah, so Agneta Kirkeby uh, that I work, uh, that's in my been in my group up until now. She's giving a talk on Saturday, so you okay. get to hear some of this stuff on the stage. But yeah, We uh, know her well. She was with Lorenz in Lorenz's lab with yes. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have several posters uh, from the group here. But um, right now I'm uh, doing a lot of... Uh, translational work with the ESL mm-hmm. so we're heavy into uh, GMP production and GMP cell lines and uh, finding xeno uh, free uh, mm-hmm. alternatives for coating and all this and that work has been uh, a bit difficult I must say but now I think we're uh, we're all there and we're just uh, 
as I was leaving Lund, running out of the lab, I was looking at the last uh, data set with the uh, rotations in animals, and mm. uh, we're getting very good uh, results now Recovered. from the long-term uh, in vivo studies. So um, nice. we, we were, we're just laughing uh, this summer with our uh, and ready to go into DMP production then, uh, in the fall. And so you'll be working with Roger Barker, who yes. did the recent fetal transplants in uh, patients. So Roger had the transuro study where Lund and Cambridge are the transplantation sites and mm -hmm. uh, we're just ready to go with the patients in Lund and Cambridge has already grafted their first patients with fetal cells wow, so that's, that's very great. exciting yeah. and we're super happy to have actually Roger Barker as a guest professor in Lund mm. uh, this year so we're spending a lot of time together uh, gearing up for the stem cell trials that we hope to initiate in uh, 2017 or is 2018. He he's, he's not, not here at he's this not. meeting. No. Okay, he's not. Okay. So 2017 is a big year for uh, a big stem year. cells and dopamine and Parkinson's. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then in addition to the translational work, uh, we've been doing uh, quite well with our direct neural conversion uh, studies. Ah, yes, uh, yes uh, that's right. Both uh, fibroblast neurons in vitro and mm -hmm. uh, glial cells to neurons in vivo. So it's uh, exciting times. Great, great. Yeah, that's very, very cool. And we were just saying, uh, a quick note, we were saying that in particular, with the Parkinson's and dopaminergic neurons, the field has been very collaborative in this effort to get this GMP and get these conditions, uh, you know, understood. I know with Mark and uh, Lorenz and, and other people in the field, you guys have come together to help each other out and kind of work together, which I think is what should be done. Unfortunately, sometimes in science we don't, but... Uh, I think it's a good example of uh, getting together can really help everyone push forward and get to the same goal. Absolutely. I think that we created this uh, G-Force PD, which yes. is a global force for bringing stem cell therapy to Parkinson's disease patients. And uh, the G-Force PD will uh, speed up uh, this process by at least one or two years. And we're working together with American teams and the Japanese teams. Right. And really everyone is, uh, is working very closely together at different levels to really bring this... Uh, it's a. It's going to be a big push to get the stem cells yeah, to course. the patients, but we're all working together on this, which is great. That's great. So, talk about real quick before you uh, before we end this about the IN, the induced neurons, uh, the trans differentiation, and the the benefits of that technique as opposed to grafting ES derived dopamine neurons. Well, I think the first generation of cells that will go is the ESLs, and there you will have we will produce big batches of cells. Mm -hmm. uh, that will then be used for many different patients. Uh, the IN cells can be seen as an alternative to the IPS cells when it comes to personalized medicine. And, and right. um, there, the IN cells have the great advantage of not going via pluripotent stage. So when you, when you develop personalized medicine, uh, you work under different criteria than you do when you have a cell product because you cannot put this, each individual cell batch that goes into the patient uh, through the same stringent testing as you can with the cell batch. So now we're right. almost back to the same type of work that we do with the fetal cells where we use uh, cells from aborted embryos. Mm -hmm. Because no, uh, with personalized medicine, again, um, you have to quality control and standardize the process rather than the actual cells that go into the patients. And their ion cells have several advantages over the IPS cells. Um, when it comes to the safety aspects of sure. the technology. Yeah. And then, of course, with today's technologies and conversion efficiencies for ion cells, we could take uh, fibroblasts from one human embryo and maybe have enough dopamine neurons for 25 patients. Wow. 
uh, we're not developing it to that point because we have the ESLs that we can have an right. unlimited a- access on match cells. But it's not an uninteresting alternative also for for non-personalized medicine. Where you, um, right, right. So I think this is uh, the future uh, is in ion cells or even then this direct conversion where you reprogram cells hmm. directly in the brain. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's really, really cool. Where you rid the whole problem of the cell product. Just in the right in, right. Because yeah. once you take them, once takes you know, once they're out and you got to go back in, it's a whole other world. I think I was part of the public symposium uh, connected to ISSR last night where I was in the panel with Magdalena Götz and uh, Rusty mm-hmm. Gage and Thomas Perlman. And I think the agreement after that session, and all four of us agree that in the long, long-term future, yeah. uh, what we're looking at is uh, the best way is probably to get the brain to repair itself, either mm-hmm. by uh, mobilizing the endogenous stem cells or by recruiting yeah. the glia yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the brain. Yeah. But we're still um, yep. many years away from sure. that. So until then, uh, I think uh, ESLs and IN cells for transplantation is a good uh, Yeah, we're just saying activation of endogenous stem cells, is, you know, like and things like that. We're already inside. Let the body do what it does. Just harness it and, you know, get it to go better. Well, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, man, we're back. This is day two. This is June 25th? No, nope, yeah, it's the 25th. 25th. Thursday. ISSCR 2015. We had a great first day, uh, and we're back. We have Shobit Saxena. Did I say that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, from Lund University in Sweden. Uh, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Thank you. And uh, what we do is we like to uh, ask people what their stem cell story is. So tell us your stem cell story. Tell us why you're here and what why you love stem cells. So uh, I have been to other ISSCRs, but uh, this year is special because I'm coming back here uh, after a long time. And uh, it's a special year for me because I'm celebrating uh, my 10th year in stem cell research, for example. Congratulations. So thank you. Uh, I started in 2005 back in India as I was a fresh uh, uh, student and I was a research fellow in one of the leading stem cell laboratories in India. And that was the time when... Who's uh, that? Who's that? So this is a Stemputics Research Private Limited in Bangalore. So they started this company and before that uh, it was a research organization and we were doing basic embryonic stem cell research. iPS cells were not existing that time. Yamanaka was still doing his um, experiments and working on those secret protocols until he published them and then I was in 2000 uh, I think it was 2006 ISSCR that he presented first time in Keynes, Australia. And I was there. I remember that too. I'll never forget that when he said he can do that but he didn't tell what the four factors were yeah everybody wants and to everyone know. someone actually i think got the microphone and said i have my question is what are the factors factors <laughs> and they were like uh 30 minutes for the talk and 30 minutes for uh, for the, the yeah, discussion went yeah. on it never ended and uh yeah uh, he's still so humble i'm very excited to see him here and he's still the same person as he was 10 years ago even i haven't after the seen November. him around uh today or yesterday i haven't seen him either yeah. i think the policies keep him busy more than yeah <laughs> this is very true so can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's what's the stem cell industry like in India? I mean, do you think it has fair representation here, like at this meeting and things yeah. like this, or in the field? Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I I'm trying to think. Yo, know, so if if in our field, in the neuro stem cell field, if there's uh, there's you know, a the guy presence. Chakra Body. He's uh, I, I'm familiar with his Mah- work. Yeah, Mahendra, I think. Yeah. So uh, go ahead, tell us a little bit about. Uh, I mean, do you follow it? I mean, do you? 
Yeah, I, I follow it a lot. I still have my old colleagues and friends uh, doing stuff there. And uh, what has happened in the last ten uh, years? The scenario has been changed very much. So people were hesitating to stem cell research in India because it was uh, very expensive at that time to mm-hmm. do any kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And now companies have become more competitive, so they have lowered the prices. This is advantageous for okay. developing countries. Cool. I think in U.S. and Europe, it's not a problem. Money sure. crunch is not so much, but in India, grants are less. And they're rare. So, so, how do you like the move to Lund? Uh, I finished my PhD um, in the last years from University of Ulm in Germany, and uh, before that, I was, uh, as I said, in India, and I was there at In Vitrogen as their application scientist for stem cell biology. Okay, and that gave me a good hang on what's going on in India at that time uh, f- mm-hmm. for stem cells. So I established the company In Vitrogen to establish their stem cell research and support for Indian customers. Okay, and then I moved to Germany because I wanted to then start with my PhD and so on. And uh, then I just got uh, Lund because my expertise matched uh, what they needed. Where are you in Lund? Um, Lund, uh, we are in Biomedical Center. Um, so I'm working with Niels Bjarne Woods. This is a hematopoietic stem cell program group okay. led by Stefan Carlson, one of the most uh, well-known Scandinavian um, scenario hematopoietic stem cell researcher. Nice. Cool. Very, very cool. So, yeah. do you enjoy the ISSCR meeting? Yeah, it's very informative. It's very um, uh, dynamic. You meet uh, people from many, many fields. We all share common passions, but we differ in many ways, like different backgrounds and different education style and so on. But when I talk to them, I I feel the same passion that they 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 want to do something good for humanity. Any uh, posters or talks that caught your eye and ear? <laughs> Um, yes, I was there at several posters yesterday, and some of them are uh, quite relevant to my work. That's why I was there. But there were some just random walking by. I found some cool techniques, like there was this uh, uh, German um, institute from Dresden, this girl, uh, Mania. She's doing some cool um, non-flow cytometry-based isolation of stem cells. So that was something. That's non-flow. cool. Non-flow that must be hard. What is yeah. she selecting or yeah. picking? No, she's, what is she uh, doing? Uh, she uses uh, her fingers. She just <laughs> magic fingers. She's uh, she's throwing the cells through a stream under pressure, and through this uh, sheer force and this conductivity, through this uh, pressure, they are able to select it. Awesome! Very and very cool. Yeah, yeah. Very we we have something similar in Lund as well. This is called acoustic focusing. So with sound waves, you can focus uh, stem no cells in a nozzle, and you can yeah. sort them based on their uh, Get size dance. and mass. Get them to dance yeah. for you. Yeah, and it's a it's a chip, so it's microscopic. You cannot see by eye what's going on, and the 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 cells are moving in a turbulent flow, and they're focused through these acoustic waves through a little gadget, you know. And then you can focus red blood cells on a on a tight spot on the chip, nice. and then you remove those sound waves, and the red blood cells just fall off in your you tra- training your cells with music. Sonar method over there. That's yeah, cool. something. <laughs> and I, I was so excited because this was done by clinicians, and I I I was um, totally amazed uh, the capacity they had in their in their clinical laboratory to do this. I mean, where they don't have access to the fancy pansy LSR yeah. scenarios we have in our we have like five big uh, fat solvers and they have none of that. Wow. Yeah, you, I mean, people are amazed at the price of a fax machine. Yeah, you? and the antibody. If you could, yeah, yeah, that Not too. fax like facsimile, fax yes. like the flow-activated cell sorting. sorting. Yes. So, thank, so thank you so much for being our first guest today. I hope you'll continue, continue to listen it to the It was uh, enjoying talking podcast. to you, and uh, thank you for giving me a chance to talk about 
everything I said. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the rest of the meeting. Thank Great. you. Thank you. All right. So now we have our next guest. Uh, this is Ruby Sai from Applied Stem Cell Incorporated. Is that correct? Yes. And this is in San Jose, California. Well, actually, it's in Mellow Park. Okay. San Jose okay. is where I live. Okay. It's nice. a good place to live, I hear, it San is. Jose. It is. I love it. So uh, tell us about your company and what brought you here. Well, so my company was founded about eight, uh, seven years ago now, and uh, we started uh, by uh, basically working on stem cell reagents and also um, genetic modification of the cell lines, and then also extend it to animal models. So that's what we've been doing. Okay. And uh, so I've been attending this ISCR meeting every year. So um, prior to apply stem cell, I worked at Stanford University for 19 years. And 19 years. 19 years, a long time. So, yeah, I've been always to this conference and loved it. And it's been growing, you know. Yeah, you've yeah, seen since, it grow, yeah, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Which is a good thing. I mean, obviously. I mean, it tells you that this is a real field, this is a real field of science that's big, you know, and it's gotten to that point. So that's right. great. Right. So uh, you've been going to a lot of posters or presentations. What, what, what's, uh, what's catching your eye? Well, yeah, I attended yesterday's the plenary session. That was the first session, the presidential symposium. And some big names there. Yeah, there yeah. were some big names. Yeah, the marquee names. Yep. Yeah, and also the uh, awards. I think they're mm -hmm. giving out a lot of awards to uh, uh, distinguished uh, scientists. And I also attended, because the, there was an opening reception last night, so it was great food and wine, and then just walked around and read uh, some of the posters. Yeah. So um, I guess in a minute, tell us a little bit about this, the services the company provides. It's a reagent company, this is a therapeutic company, this is... Right, so it's not really a therapeutic company yet, uh, but that's our uh, long-term goal. And uh, currently, uh, the main uh, revenue income is from... Um, service uh, using genome editing technologies. So you probably heard about CRISPR sure. so many times, right? And uh, so we also have our own technology. It's called a TAGA. And what is it? TAGA? TAGA. T-A-R-G-A-T-T. -T. Okay. G-A-T-T. Uh, right. So it's basically integrase-based um, site-specific gene insertion. Mm -hmm. So when I was at Stanford University, um, together with another professor, Dr. Luo, uh, his lab and my lab, we basically invented this technology. Mm -hmm. And um, Stanford has a patent um, on the technology. And so does it work with like a guide RNA, like CRISPR, or what's, no, what's going on? No, it's more like a recombinase. Okay. So you have like a docking site in a mm -hmm. genome, then the... Um, the enzyme recognizes docking site and then recombines specifically at that docking site. Okay. okay. Yeah. Sort of like uh, Cree locks? Yeah, similar. Similar, okay. but better. <laughs> but better, <laughs> better. obviously. So then you, look at, you, can do these, you can do custom lines then. Right, right. So knock-ins. Yeah, exact knock-ins. So do That's you have any uh, hallmark lines, uh, knock-in genes? Right. Uh, which which one's like... So better? the one that's most relevant to this conference yes. is the iPSL. So we have which called, uh, what we call uh, master iPSL line. So these are the cell line they have pre-engineered with those docking sites in a safe genomic locus. So if you want to insert any genes of interest, it's just one step. And the advantage of this method over CRISPR is that 
as people who worked with CRISPR all know that knocking efficiency is extremely low with CRISPR, and it's not practical, um, you know, for any therapeutic reasons. So, in comparison, this target technology allows you to do gene insertion at about 30 to 40 percent efficiency. And we actually have a paper published that's still with my Stanford work. When we do drug selection, it's 100% insertion. Hmm. So, so that's the advantage. It's higher efficiency in knocking and also large pieces. And what about off-target Um Not much. So these integrases are very specific um, uh, recognition sites. And uh, occasionally they do, some of the integrases, they do integrate called pseudocytes. So that's the most off-target site you will see, is that it inserts in some sites that are similar to the wild-type site, but uh-huh. right. it's not real. Yeah, okay. not, not real. Site. So are people doing reporters, or are they knocking in uh, a corrected gene? What are, what are, what are the uses what are the main, like, how does it break down? Mm-hmm. 30% reporters, 30% knockout or knock-in? Um, actually, so you have a pretty good, uh, you know, summary of that. So people, I would say half of the people probably want to do knocking knock of in. reporters, right? Okay. right? So right. for reporter cell line, it's, it's so much more efficient. Sure. And it's much better than random. That's what people are doing is random. So let me just, I guess for the, there's, because a lot of people in our audience are not scientists. So, oh. so not, not. <laughs> Um, you not know, all, of not them, all, yeah. but there are there are some. So I always like to just make sure I'm explaining. So when we say knock in, that means that uh, we're actually knocking in or putting in um, sort of a. In this case, it's a reporter or a green protein or something that's going to report. We knock it into the gene we're interested in following. So if it's Pac six in our case, you put a green gene into the Pac six, knock it in, and then when Pac six turns on, the green turns on. So this is obviously very useful in right. tracking lineages and tracking things in the dish. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So knock-ins, and there there was old, old methods like promoter based. I was in the. Um, you know, promoter-based, the luciferase-based reporters, which the always the argument was that it wasn't as the fidelity wasn't as good, so it doesn't report as well. Right. The knock-in right. Right. obviously would have the most fidelity because it's right. being regulated like right. the gene. Right. So yeah. very very important. Yeah. Stuff. So yeah, you have to use more. Like for some case, you use a tissue-specific promoter, right. so that only turns on specific right. cells or tissues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for coming by the oh, uh, podcast. You. It yeah, was very good. nice talking with you. Yeah, good. I've heard you guys before. Well, thank you. <laughs> All right, great. Okay, so we have our next guest, which is Manisha Inamdar. Tell us where you're from, actually. This is uh, your microphone. Sorry, I forgot uh, to give. Hi, thanks. Uh, this is Manisha, and I'm from the uh, Jawaharlal Nehru Center for Advanced Scientific Research, which is an academic research institute in Bangalore in India. Oh, nice. You're our we, second yeah, guest from India. We had today. a we had a a, a, re, a guest a couple oh it was the last guest or a couple guests ago. He is now in Lund, Sweden, but was uh, from India. And we were talking about I was asking him about stem cells in India, the right. industry, and, right. and he's no longer there. I mean, so you, you can tell us a little bit about what's going on there. You know, in the country as a as an emerging area. 
Yes, so the stem cell field is really, you know, picked up in the last few years in India and there's a lot of government support and funding. Uh, so far it's been uh, mostly stem cells and various model organisms, uh, but a few years ago we've also started human embryonic stem cell research. In fact, uh, my group was, uh, you know, one of the first ones to derive human embryonic stem cells from the local Indian uh, representing the Indian population. Do you, do you get them from in vitro uh, fertilization from clinics? From IVF clinics. Yes. yes. So we had Where did you learn this technique from? Um, well, I used to derive mouse embryonic stem cell lines, and then okay. some years ago, well, quite a few years ago, I just went around to labs in Israel and the UK, spent a couple of days nice. just talking to people, and then you know went back home and tried bringing uh, the knowledge home yeah tried on defective uh, you know grade 3 embryos sure. but while trying sure. we got a couple of lines so what's th- what's the rules or like you know in this legislation or you know how uh, uh, around this because you know in the, in the states it's all it gets very funny so yeah. what's it like there Are they supportive uh, so of that? you know uh, human embryonic stem cell research is permiss- permitted just you know for research and our guidelines are modeled primarily on the UK guidelines in fact okay. Anne McLaren was one of okay. the people who advised us so we have national guidelines and of course cloning and so on is sure. prohibited okay. and yeah so we have uh, very detailed guidelines in place okay. and our cell There's lines are actually deposited in the UK stem cell bank they are on the NIH registry the European registry and you know we've distributed them to What about places. the general population uh, just the everyday person do they mm-hmm. know about stem cells do they uh, is there a stigma cuz in the states some people will have this yeah uh, like stem cells are bad you know or, yeah. or something like that you know they, they, no. they're like aborted fetuses right. this is yeah. what they think yeah so uh, you know quite the contrary uh, stem cells are known to the general population and uh, I think people are very positive about it okay um, so the potential is recognized and uh, you know um, that's great to hear yeah so at this conference what are you looking for uh, well, multiple things. First of all, since we have a smaller community back home, uh, one is the interaction and just acquiring all the information and knowledge. There's been a great set of talks so far, a wonderful poster session yesterday. Yes, it was. And a lot of I, posters. Yes, a lot of posters. A lot of posters. <laughs> a lot of posters. And I'm also uh, associated with the International Stem Cell Initiative uh, meetings and the International Stem Cell Banking Initiative meeting and the European uh, Pluripotent uh, Registry meetings. So I also come so that I get the opportunity to participate in That's these good. various meetings. Um, yeah, so, you know, multi-fold uh, well, well, When you benefits. go back to India, you'll have to tell everyone about the Stem Cell Podcast. Well, many of them know most they of do. the yeah, right. already, All yes. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we enjoy your podcast. I've it's really s- useful. Thank we you very much. We look, at, we look at the stats, and uh, definitely India shows up. They on do have our, a presence on the podcast. Yeah. Yes. That's good to hear. Yes, yes. Uh, we, like you said, we just, we just want to be able to help. So we know there's mm-hmm. a lot of things to do. Yeah. So we try to make it, and it's, yeah. it's you know it's what we love. So we're just really talking sure. about what we love. We're friends. It's fun. So yeah. it, and it, you know there are interesting factoids that one would never go and read up otherwise. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving five Thank minutes. You. Enjoy the rest of the meeting. Thanks a lot. Okay. So uh, we roped, <laughs> we roped Mark in, Dr. Mark Tomashima, uh, from Sloan Kettering or the Sloan Kettering Institute. Did I get that right? Ski? That is correct. Um, uh, what up, Mark? What's going on, man? How you doing? How's it going, guys? Welcome to the uh, Stem Cell Podcast. 
My voice is an octave lower already today. So Mark is uh, runs a core facility where uh, they do. Lot. Tell us about your core. Okay. Um, <laughs> tell us now. The core is sort of a standard human pluripotent stem cell based core where we um, provide cells to people. We do reprogramming. Uh, we explore different culture systems and how to grow ES cells and IPS cells. Uh, we do lots of genetic engineering of cells. Um, and more recently, we've moved into preclinical translation, uh, process development, assay development, trying to hopefully get ready for a Parkinson's cell replacement therapy. You, you, sh- you know, all the things he just said, you would think he has this huge facility. Mark gets a lot done. Uh, the space that he's Thanks. allotted. Yeah, and, you, you uh, need to talk to leadership for pound, me. Yeah. Pound, pound per square more. foot. And Give I me a new bay. I've looked through his course. He teaches a course, basically. Uh, I took like, the course. And yeah. it is, I mean, even the I, book I alone, it. it's very comprehensive, and uh, it's, it's a very valuable. I, I don't think uh, there's anything as good out so, there. It's as you. good as it gets. Thanks. So, so uh, Mark, he's being modest, but, uh, yeah, he's definitely So Mark Tomashima trained me. In stem yeah. cells. That's awesome. And human embryonic stem cell culture. I remember where I was. I remember in that uh, conference room, given the presentation, I remember that. Uh, that was going back in the day. So we talk about ISSCR 2015, Mark. We talk about, like, learning science and things like this. But, you know, one of the major components to it is just seeing everybody, seeing all the people you work with, seeing all your friends, yeah. going out, having fun and interacting. So um, we did that a little bit last night. Right? I mean, that's a really important component to the meeting. I mean, absolutely. you want to learn, but you should interact and be a part of something. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm looking out and seeing a lot of the different crews. This place is a lot of people. Like, I think it was over 4,000 people this year. Yeah. So, uh, you've seen a lot of posters or talks. Anything uh, pique your interest? Uh, yeah. Um, I thought um, Rusty Gage's talk yesterday yeah. was a little bit interesting. Uh, his his talk on sort of the aging of cells. Interesting. I yeah. missed it. Tell, yeah. tell us about it. Uh, he described a protein, I think it was RAN-BP17, that appears to um, be associated with aging. Okay. And um, so, you know, I guess it's a lot of tantalizing data. I think that he there's a lot... mainly in the brain, so... Uh, is yeah, this this like is, a, it was a brain-related talk. Okay. Um seemed like, you know, it was nice of him to share something that wasn't quite mature. So I feel right. like there's still a lot to hash out. And, of course, it's interesting. I'm looking at Dr. Justine Miller right now. So uh, as you guys know. She's into the aging. Right. So as you guys know, they uh, the Studer Lab had described progeria as a way to sort of artificially age cells. So this is a yet a different way. And so it's going to be interesting to sort of intersect um, yeah, see cool. how how much overlap there is between the two. Mm. This is a so big it's, thing. It's a nice talk. Cellular aging and our aging now. I mean, it's, in, it's essential for the field, field, right? Like I mean, it's it's yeah. critical. Yeah, it is. I mean, we were just talking. Lorenz wrote that review, um, that perspective. I think it was in cell stem cell talking mm-hmm. about aging and IPS how it resets and then you have to re-age. Mm-hmm. And so we know these cell types, these derivatives can take a while. And so right. what what happens there? The other yeah. thing Rusty mentioned actually is that the induced neurons retained their age. So I, I, you know, that's R- cool. Rusty, sorry if I if I missed it, but I don't think he showed a lot of data on that. Oh, but he threw it out there. Well, so I assume that's it, been I the just, general thought. That's kind the of dogma cool. is that that's that, why IN cells are yeah, better than well, pluripotent. Right. I, I had always thought that would be one of the big advantages, but I, and again, maybe I've missed it because it's not really something that I follow um, that closely. But I haven't seen any data that really 
um, made that case compelling. Yeah, that'll be important to find out. But it, uh, it, you know, you through know, Justine's paper, I, I'm familiar with some of these signs of aging. It'd right. be interesting to compare IN neurons to uh, pluripotent-based yeah. or derived neurons. So, yeah, that yeah. that that needs to be done. I, I don't right. think anybody's really. Uh, but what what do you do out. there? How do you model? What, so, if you're modeling the disease, you would take the skin type skin, you would directly convert it to the neuron of interest mm. and then assume that it's going to die the same that the... No, adult. you just look at You know what I mean? If you're trying to model... Well, at least hopefully you're starting with like a 60-year-old neuron or yeah, a neuron that right. has the hallmarks of, of that aged cell as opposed to rebooting it all the way back to a fetal cell and differentiating for 60 years. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to wait around 60 years. Or it's a long time. So it's a postdocs are long enough. Compare yeah. the three, the aged neurons from IPS or whatever... Uh, ES, right. and then uh, compare yeah. it to the IN, and then compare them to just non-aged uh, right. IPS. Or the RAN BP-17. Wow, we, we just described somebody's thesis right there. <laughs> <laughs> so have you, seen any, have you seen anything on germline editing? I thought we might like see this whole, uh, you know, we had that big whole hubbub. Have you seen anything about like... Uh, I, I have not, but I also haven't really been looking for it. I, I know there was a discussion a little bit in the beginning of, uh, I think Rudy discussed a little bit yesterday about yeah. the... Uh, ISSCR's position on it. Um, but no, I haven't seen it. Have you guys seen anything? No, not really. We've been, yeah. unfortunately, stuck at this table for too Right, long. right. But, I mean, I've asked around. I haven't heard anything. Like, I don't know yeah. if George Church, I don't, I don't know if any of these guys are here or like, have talks. Right. There's might be in a concurrent, but point being, they're not yeah. making it a highlight. I, I don't yeah. think they want to really. Cause, Probably uh, not, based on their position. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I hear you. That, yeah. that, this, this is an, we, were, we were talking about it the other day on the show. This will mm. be an interesting evolution of what happens here. Yeah. Because you can make the argument like, you know, you're already there, you know, mm. if you think about it. Um, but um, the technology is incredible. So you say you're talk, you, you do it a lot, the, you know, the, the genome editing in, yeah. in the lab. People, don't you feel like people say they can do it? They're like, CRISPR, we can do it. <laughs> and then you really ask them and they're like, well, you know, is it still that way? Like, do they still have the bugs to work out or is it is it solid? You know, is it functional at least? If right. I want to do it, I can do it. Yeah, I think it's a little harder than most people uh, give it credit for until they really dig in and try to do it. Also depends a lot, I think, on whether you're going for single base pair changes or whether you're selecting Oh boy, some guests just showed Yeah, up just here. the guy just leaned over the table. How you hey, doing, Dr. Dr. Stern? Dr. Stern, a friend of the show. Uh, anyhow, real quick, I just yeah. want to ask you, because I'm sure our audience will be interested in knowing about your clinical translation efforts, uh, making these... Well, we should, we should point out these is uh, Dr. Lorenz Studer's yeah, well, effort, led I, efforts, but sure. Yeah, you are uh, one of the lieutenants <laughs> under his command, and... Sure. Uh, Tell us about how that's going and uh, what, what, what are the challenges that have been, you know, this, this mm. is pioneering activity in the, at least for neurons. I mean, mm. I'm sure people have been doing it for blood cells, but yep. now uh, it's being done with neurons and you're kind of at the leading edge of that. So tell us, tell us about that. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, there's lots of different challenges, I guess. It, it, there's the challenges of trying to um, figure out what the right cell source and cell type is and uh, how to grow those cells and what changes they're going to have in differentiation after the fact. Uh, using clinically compatible reagents can change your diff entirely. Um, yeah, that's what, stinks, what, man. That we, we've made some fairly major changes at this point, I think, to the entire process, which uh -huh. we think has made it better. 
But was it a complete reboot or no? Um, it was a semi boot. Like you had to go uh, all no, the way it's, back. It's, it's not a complete reboot, but it's much further away than I think we initially anticipated being. Uh, I what? think the good news about that, though, is that we have gone back and, and maybe made things better than they were. That's what you were saying. That's if, what I'd like to believe. If you put but, in the... T- yeah, really, keep telling <laughs> you yourself know, the that. Animal, the animals are going to have to tell us that, <laughs> that we're right, that. right? Uh, so we're true. looking at markers right now. Right. But they, we, I don't know that they're necessarily well, going to be prognostic. I'll tell you, they're doing well. When I left the lab, uh, they, so, they were doing well. That's so good. So let, you let, have, let me just good. tell you a real quick story. I, I come into lab one day, and Mark's, oh, no. Mark comes in, and he's fully <laughs> donned in they. the GMP like he was practicing for this. He's wearing like you a You caught him in a practice? He, he looked like one of the, uh, what was the, the, the chip makers? The, oh, um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, the clean rooms? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, the other... The other problematic part about that was I was during the Ebola outbreak and it raised a lot of eyebrows. Like, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he had to don this GMP grade suit where uh, everything has to be put on in a certain way yeah. and uh, to work with cells that are going right. to potentially go into humans. Yeah. You have to be, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, that, those are a lot of the challenges, I guess, that you don't even think about is that members of my team and myself, we've had to learn how to put on the so-called bunny suit <laughs> in a completely sterile way where you don't touch the outside of the suit at all. Right. Uh, and our, our How does that work? It's very difficult. Yeah. Oh, man. Especially when you're, when you're old, and, to de- watch you get when you're old and decrepit like me. It's rough. And then uh, don't they swab your body yes, and yes. then uh, different yeah. areas so and, you get, and grow culture dishes? You get dishes. auger plates pressed against you at various parts of your body, and, and sure. uh, you have to make sure that you're completely clean. You, right. have, you actually get a gowning certification from our facility. You, like, graduate? Yes, you graduate. You graduate. So oh, it's not easy. It's not so straightforward. And, and really, it's, it's that way throughout the entire facility. Um, there's no ice and there's, you know, things like this that you don't really think about. Yeah, These are all workflow deal. changes that you have to go over and discover. And then uh, the documentation. Then reinvent. Yeah, the documentation yeah, is, is another it's real incredible, right. uh, time sink. Nice. Well, it's, it's really tough doing a podcast around here when there's people walking by. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's distracting, right? Yeah, there's like it's all these things going on. But, yeah. um, oh, what was I going to See, distra- I took it right out. Oh, we were talking to Melinda Palmer yesterday. She came yeah. on for a little yes. bit. And I, I mentioned it to her, and I, and I mentioned it to you as well, because I really think it's important. Um, you know this, that when you're entering into this new territory, mm-hmm. it's really important to have other people messing yeah. up with you. At different places, so you can, so you're not messing up the same way. You know, right, you, you right. want to be able to move forward. You don't want to get. Yeah. At this, this is the point where you don't want to get. Uh, you know, this is mine. Yeah. Right, because you're so close to getting yeah, yeah. into the to the right. clinic. So you, the effort, mm-hmm. the global effort, has right. been awesome, and yeah. that's really important. I think. Yeah, we have something called GeForce PD. Who came up with that name, by the way? Uh, that, that sounds Ele- like a Mark Elena Cataneo. No, she's she's really sort of she's uh, amazing. She's, she is yeah. she is she's wonderful. She's awesome. I haven't seen her yet. Okay, but I don't know. Uh, she's really fantastic. She's spearheaded our, our global effort. Uh, Member of the Italian Parliament. Yes, now? she is. Yes, that's right. Uh, and she's really helped to organize us for a long time and getting us together to talk about these things and and to try to work together. And I think we're really fortunate to have. Um, Competitors like Malin and uh, Jun Takahashi, who's also incredibly yeah. wonderful, um, is he very here? generous. Have you seen him? I, I don't know. I haven't. I, mean, I, I haven't know his seen posters him. are here, but uh, I haven't seen him. And and also the entire the Trans Euro group with Roger Barker and Steve Dunnett right. and all the various constituents, all the all the members of yeah. these groups are absolutely fantastic That's That's to have important. around. 
Um, and they've been nothing but helpful. Yeah, she to said us. It, she said it would probably shave like a year or two off the timeline. Yeah, you know, yeah, it no, really it's, could. It's, because it's really great. Well, um, super helpful. Listen, man, always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, guys. Good talking with you, man. Appreciate Enjoy. it. Take it easy. Okay, so we're here with Kath, uh, Catherine Colger from Toronto. So, Catherine, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Hi, thanks. Uh, tell us where you're from there, where, where you work. I work at the McEwen Center of Regenerative Medicine, which is part of the University Health Network in Toronto. There you go. There's the University is Health Network. Is it Toronto with a T at the end, or just it's a silent T? I've been told it's Toronto. I'm, if you're Canadian, yes, but I'm British, so oh, it's Toronto. So have, have you <laughs> Toronto. Yes. Yes. Have like, you adopted any of the Canadian sounds in their voice? Like, what's that all about? No, no. In, I, I do go up at the end of my sentence now. Instead <laughs> oh, of nice. being all monotonous and very, oh, yes, this is how everything is. It's this very is how everything very, is? Yeah, everything has to go up because it's very positive. Oh, wow, that's, that's nice. great. That's nice. <laughs> so, so tell us your stem cell story. What are you, um, you know, what are you doing in the field and why you're so here? So I work in the lab of Dr. Christina Nostro, and we are differentiating uh, human embryonic stem cells towards insulin producing cells for the treatment of type 1 diabetes very cool so we're trying right. to make beta like cells or beta like cells as they say in america All right. i like beta better yeah beta, beta better beta <laughs> sorry so uh you're making pancreatic cells for diabetic patients yes okay that's the the goal so i'm very much looking at signaling pathways and different culture conditions to get to the final stages so Tell what's the uh process go. with that sorry, you sorry. uh so you have to go through uh endoderm phase yes correct how do you induce yeah. that and then how do you get to the beta cell so we use a combination of uh activin mm-hmm. and uh wind signaling to okay. what induce can't our what can't win to? <laughs> to induce our endoderm and then we go on and uh induce uh kind of uh, Foregut, uh, foregut, midgut. Okay. Um, tube. You're blanking okay. me now. No, I'm that's like okay. Putting on the take, spot, like, oh, I time. know all the signaling pathways. Um, so, from the endoderm, you then specify the gut tube, mm-hmm. and we want a region that is uh, the region that will go on to form the pancreas. Okay. So we're looking at the midgut region mm-hmm. and this is defined by the expression of pdx1 okay. which also defines uh some cells that will go on to form the stomach and the intestine mm-hmm. and then from that pdx1 population we go on and specify more pancreatic like progenitors mm-hmm. and in particular we're looking at the expression of the transcription factor nkx 6.1 which oh. is yeah. crucial yeah. for yeah further development towards the beta-like It's cell. weird how these gut genes cross over in the brain. I know. Like NKX 6.1. What? See that? You always say the we say what goes on in the uh, in the gut. The it just gut reflects what connection. goes on in the brain, yeah. the gut-brain connection. Right, yeah. So... Uh, so for I mean for people who listen that are not necessarily in the science, this we always talk about the recipe, like how you create the cell type, how mm-hmm. do you make the cell type. So what you describe gave people a little bit of understanding of there's it's a you know it's a it's a journey that that goes on and you have to guide it in the lab and yeah. there's multiple checkpoints along the way to make sure they're going down that road. So that was a good example of that. Where is the field right now 
in for diabetes, for insulin producing cells from stem cells? Because, you know, I thought that we were able to make these cells and that produce insulin. We've mm-hmm. shown that. So where are we in terms of uh, animal models or, or you know, something so for patients? just at the end of last year, uh, Doug Melton... Who will be speaking here actually we tomorrow? Try to get yeah. him on yeah. the show. I know. Yeah, Chris. Chris, <laughs> he yeah. wouldn't do it. He said he's just this wasn't his thing. Like it's uh, you know maybe the casuality or something like that. But maybe I'll give it another shot. Anyway, go ahead. So he he published that he can now make uh, these insulin producing cells in the dish, um, and I believe he's working with uh, company Viasite, and he also has his own he has his own company, Offsprung, from this, um, and they're looking at putting these cells in encapsulated devices and seeing how it's going right. to happen in the humans. I certainly know that in terms of devices, there's a number of clinical trials going on looking at how the cells react in a human, but they're not giving enough cells to actually cure the patient of diabetes. But it's, it's just like... Who's, who's transplanting into humans? I should know this. I don't know. I don't, I don't there know for is, sure. There... there I wasn't aware of uh, clinical trials. Yeah, well, there's definitely there clinical trials, like yeah, like Viasite. Viasite's uh, one, but there's yeah. another company. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, there always there was a question of always would the how do you deliver it? Like, how do you deliver the eyelets? How are you going to put them in the body? Like, there's patches. I remember people putting things in patches. They put the patch in oh, and they one secrete of the, the insulin. One of the trans- one of the device things I'm talking about was with actual uh, eyelets as opposed to stem cell derived beta like cells but oh, the viacite are the ones who want to do right. the stem cell derived beta like cells but it's kind of a two way thing first if they can see how islets are surviving they'll get a better idea uh-huh. of how it's going to be with the beta cells mm-hmm. yeah viacite um, made news this year a lot with the trial I mean they should be here I would imagine people from viacite I wonder if we can find some and bring some over um, so you're a postdoc yes okay how's your postdoc experience going it's going well that's very good good. (laughs) she's like that's it it's going great what are you talking about um do you have any advice for students out there who are um getting ready to start their postdoc uh i think it's very crucial what lab you pick be very cautious fussy really read about ask a lot of questions and yeah ask from other people who've been in the lab how things are going i guess it depends if you did a shorter phd or a longer phd um You'll get a like better sense of sure. what you want. I remember people used to come around in the lab, and even in grad school, and uh, they were interviewing, and they would sit down and they would ask questions, honest questions, and I would always give them honest answers, good and good and maybe not so good, because um, if I was in that position, I would want to know from you, who's here and sees it all day, like what's the, what, because there's one thing about the work, right? But then yeah. there's the life of being in a lab is uh, I always say is unlike any other job in the world because you're around people in a close environment so the environment has to be conducive for you to be able to do your work so I think that's very good advice for sure um, so thank you for taking a little bit of time to talk to us today you're welcome enjoy the rest of the meeting thanks thank you right, thank thanks. you alright we're rolling in day two ISSCR 2015 I was going to announce the, I always want to announce the hashtag but then it's not live so it wouldn't really matter but um, we have Dr. Randolph Ashton Randy Ashton from uh, Wisconsin University of Wisconsin yeah. they were at, assistant professor there I know Randy from grad school back in the really? back in the Dizay when uh, I was with Sally Temple and Troy. Yeah, we were in Troy, New York, at the Rensselaer Polytech Institute, and I was at Albany Medical College, and we had a collaboration. To uh, you were doing um, uh, those, we were doing those Neurosphere uh, arrays, yeah, right? Yeah, so we're stem cell engineers, stem cell bioengineers, however you want to characterize it. Um, 
but we merge engineering with stem cells and try to make tissues and stuff out of them. So, so like we're doing these uh, arrays where we have these neurospheres, which are like little balls of cells that stayed in place pretty much in, okay. in some sort of grid fashion, right? And that's what it was, mm-hmm. so that you can you know ease more easily assay them and test them. So that's that's where we cross paths. So tell everyone your stem cell story. Where are you now? What are you doing? Yeah, um, so I left RPI and went out to Berkeley to work at their stem cell center um, and did a lot more in terms of mouse models and uh, studying adult neurogenesis. And now I'm at Wisconsin, and we basically take pluripotent stem cells um, and engineer their differentiation into different region-specific tissues of the central nervous system and merge that with biomaterial platforms to instruct morphogenesis. So there's a lot of um, hype about sort of the organoid cultures and their ability to make uh, recapitulate morphogenesis in vitro. And so we're basically trying to make that systematic, reproducible using biomaterials to help uh, coordinate the morphogenetic process. Yeah, reproducible is the word, man. Yeah. I think that's the game right now. Got to get things reproducible. Minimize variability as much as possible. So what do you... Uh Looking at, at the meeting, like what are what are your interests here? What are you looking to to see? Uh, you know, yeah. Well, in the the pre meeting uh, focus sessions, so Kevin Healy and Todd McDevitt, um, Kevin Healy from Berkeley and Todd McDevitt from Gladstone. Now, mm-hmm. uh, they organized the stem cell engineering focus session. So, okay, uh, that was really nice. They invited me to give a talk there. Excellent. Um, with How'd other engineers, it went well. We had. Uh, pretty impressive audience. It was like uh, uh, probably 150, 200 people nice. um, in the audience, and that's right before the meeting got started. So um, at this meeting right now, it's, it's sort of my uh, primer for anything that I missed during the year um, in terms of hardcore adult neurogenesis, right. stem cell biology. Um, so that's why I come to ISSCR meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we were saying um, it's... There's a, as the meeting grows, there's a lot more going on, you know, so you have to um, plan, which is yes. with this and stuff, I, I can't, no, it's, it's nothing like neuroscience ever is. I mean, we all know, you've been there, right? Actually, I've never been to SFN. Yeah. This is going to be my first year because it's in Chicago, yeah, so yeah. so close. 30, yeah. like 31,000 raging scientists running crazy. I haven't yeah. been in years. It SFN. hasn't changed. It's the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, anything else uh, like caught your eye? Really, I mean, we really haven't gone. We haven't really gotten to go to a lot of uh, presentations. Yeah, we've been doing so many interviews. Uh, uh, I, I was saying I was hoping to hear stuff about genome editing and things like this, and uh, you know where we stand on that. I thought maybe we can have a little controversy brewing up that we can talk about here, but I really <laughs> haven't heard anything too much. Uh, yeah. But Randy's in Wisconsin. We were talking about it's like a good place to be for stem cells. You know? Yeah, especially yeah. neuro. He's got Dr. Zhang Never. here. Never. He's got uh, Dr. Zhang, Zhang yeah. right? Su Chen uh, Zhang. Yep. Yeah, so Su Chen Zhang is kind of is an unofficial here? mentor. Uh, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, he'll be but, at SFN. But he's but a good right. He's a good guy to have down the hall. You know, like, hey man, like, what's going on? You know. Yeah. Anytime uh, we come up with protocols or whatever, and. Uh, discuss with his lab sort of what they're doing and right. um, he's actually very amenable to uh, sort of stem cell engineering and tissue engineering platforms. Okay. Um, so the scientists at um, or really the hardcore cell biologists and neuro uh, people at Wisconsin um, because we've had stem cell bioengineering there for so long um, they're really amenable to interacting with engineers and so that's but What do you think great. about organoids? What's your opinion? Are you uh, bullish on the organoids? What's 
bullish in terms of their use? Or? Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's fascinating that the cells have the capabilities they do, right? So what we're finding in terms of our engineering efforts is if you start to do things on characteristic length scales that are synonymous with developing tissues, uh, you can actually watch the cells sort of take over and and basically carry out their, their purpose. Um, and so they have this sort of innate Instinct, ability to self-organize. Yeah, and as long as you provide the proper conditions, they will do what they're supposed to do. And so that's really what we're doing is developing the technologies to have that precise control over things like tissue morphology, um, microscale gradients, and stuff like that. Um, and if you can organize that as uh, how it's sort of laid out in developmental biology text, um, then we're seeing some really fascinating stuff with the potential of generating tissues that look like what's actually in your body. Yeah, right. Anatomically biomimetic is sort of a term that I throw out I there. like that term. That's a right good term. There. I don't know how I feel about organoids. I feel I feel that they're variable as hell. So I feel that it has to be standardized. Yeah. I feel like you can't just you can't just have things self assemble randomly in a right. dish because yeah. it's never going to work. You have to be able to control it and recreate it or standardize it. I guess is the and word. So that's so. one of the things that we're doing is uh, sort of uh, being able to make organoids in an arrayed fashion um, where mm. there's high uniformity in the yeah, microscale architecture. The diversity of different cell phenotypes are very organotypic, um, mm-hmm. and so we're trying to have that as a platform where the uh, the actual materials in the platform instruct the morphogenesis. And so really all a uh, cell biologist has to do is add their cells to the uh, tissue platform. Just and sprinkle will, it in? Just yeah, you add it in and the materials take over for you. releasing morphogens? or what Releasing morphogens, controlling tissue morphology, um, size of the tissue, 3D architecture of the tissue, um, and that can be programmed basically into materials and, and platforms. Cool. Yeah, it's yeah. real cool. Some time release It's real on. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stuff nice. like that, yeah. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Well, uh, thanks for opening my eyes onto this world. No, it's of, really uh, cool. I, I wish I engineering. had. Engineering. Uh, yeah. I really, at some point, I want to uh, come together. We're going to come together and do something together because I, I, my, my down, my problem in the lab or my flaw is that I'm not an engineer, so I'm just focused on the biology, and I think I have good questions and a good biological system. But sometimes there's just things that escape me, and they're causing a variability. And these are things that like just shoot me an email. We yeah, can man. rehash the collaboration. Let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate yeah. you coming on. No problem. Okay, so we're joined here for, by Josh Curry from the Center uh, for Regenerative Regenerative Therapies in Dresden, word. Germany. Uh, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Tell us uh, how Thanks. your tell us about your stem cell story. What brings you here? Yeah, well, it's kind of a unusual um, unusual application here. Um, that uh, so I work with La Tanaka. Um, okay, and uh, and so kind of the the goal of our research we use animal models to study regeneration. And kind of the the model that we use for inspiration is the axolotl, which is a neotonic salamander. And uh, these guys can regenerate their limbs, tails, brains, lots of internal organs. The original regenerator. Yeah. yeah. The, you the know, yeah, it's funny. We would say there was someone in the institute um, says that the goal should be to find our inner salamander to figure out a way to activate stem cells like how they how they did in the salamander. Right, right. Yeah. So it's like a natural example of regeneration where the animal's able to coax 
all these mature cell types to kind of work together to regenerate a fully patterned limb. So are you a postdoc or a grad student? Post-doc? Right, I'm a postdoc. And uh, so had you worked with salamanders <laughs> before? Or? No, no. Actually, my PhD is in uh, microtubules in okay. uh, fly cells. So it's, it was a big leap so for me. So you went from flies to salamanders. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess they eat the flies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what's it like working with a salamander? It's it's really it's really a nice model organism, and now you know we have a lot of molecular tools. It's it's been a classical sure. uh, model for uh, decades, really. But people now we can really apply uh, transgenic technologies and even CRISPR Cas9. And so, kind of what my project is in the lab is to use uh, this multicolor LOXP reporters like Brainbow. Nice. Brainbow, yeah, beautiful. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's good to hear. Uh to to actually follow cells as they enter the 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 blastema which is this regenerative kind of mass that forms at the amputation plane okay. to follow cells as they give rise What's to What's that called again? The blastema. The blastema. Not the blastula, like the blastema. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So, so you get this ball of cells that happens, right? Right. right. So there's a something, you know, gets cut or in half, or it comes off. Yes. Now this ball of cells forms. And so that, that ball of cells then just exactly what you're trying to understand, how does that contribute to the new bud or the new right. limb that's coming out? How do they get activated? How does it, it's yeah, like what canosensory uh, stimulation? Or yeah, some kind no of... No one knows? Yeah, it's really not clear. And, you know, kind of the question for a long time is we want to study the cells that can regenerate but we really don't know where those cells are even coming from. So that's also part of the question. Is, what's the signaling? I bet yeah. you it's wind, man. Wind, a little yeah. bit of wind. A little <laughs> bit of wind goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's really the nice thing about it because we know that kind of the, the late stages of regeneration are a lot like limb development. Right. It has all the same kind of signals like right. your winds and your sonics, FGFs right. and sonics. Yeah. That's what Ellie talked about yesterday. But, you know, the initial signal, what you're talking about, the yeah. in, how you convert an injury into yeah. something, into morphogenesis. Right, right. It's got to be really like, oh, I'm thing. sensing air where I used to be part of a limb. Yeah. And how yeah, I mean, they well, send yeah, out that yeah. signal, yeah. time to convert. Yeah, yeah because yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just no, I'm thinking about a finger or something where it's like obvious where you have a half gone, right? You still have an intact, yeah, I would say like, well, you have lost cellular interaction, but you still have cellular interaction over here. So right. how, like you're saying, like, what is it there that yeah. tells it it's time to regrow? Yeah. yeah. That's very, very cool. Yeah. I mean, some of it is that this... this. Uh, so, you, oh, go ahead. No, yeah. go ahead. That, uh, you know, what, one of the things that happens is that when you do have this amputation, the epidermis quickly, you know, will cover this, this, this wound. And okay. when that happens, and this is even true in, in mammals, that you have this unique place where epidermis is in direct contact with the underlying mesenchyme. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't usually happen in mature tissue, right? Because you have this nice basement membrane that kind of keeps epidermis away from kind of the dermis. But in this, in this kind of context, the right. cells, they really mix it up with a lot of signaling. They okay. Signal back and forth to each other, and this is this is kind of what kickstarts. This is what people think is what kickstarts uh, now, regeneration. What I was going to ask before was, I'm curious about how you're utilizing brainbow uh, right. techniques to. So I guess we should describe that. You get these like RGB colors, like red, blue, and right. green, and they right. combine in different ways to give you the full rainbow yeah. of uh, cell cell. So it's a way of, I guess, lineage tracing in a way. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. So. How are you utilizing that technique uh, in all this limb regeneration? Right. So uh, basically what I do is we're, we're looking at connective tissue in the limb. This is, you know, your cartilage, your dermis, your 
um, you know, interstitial, all these kind of cells that kind of line the, or, the organs and, and different structures in the limb. And so this is what we're really focused on because these are the most important kind of cells mm-hmm. because they uh, kind of make up a lot of this mass, this blastema. And they, we also know that they carry a lot of the patterning information. Right. Um, so what I do basically is, uh, is we're, we're following in real time cells of you know unique clones and then asking you know where do they start where do they come from how far back behind the amputation plane do they come from that's right. something that we really don't know is so it if you see a whole bunch of purple cells you know that they're the main right. proge- there's one main progenitor right that was purple that yeah. wound up being the most of the yeah. purple limb <laughs> yeah it, yeah ex- <laughs> exactly i mean that's that's one of the big questions the is and people have used this technology to ask to find stem stem cell populations. Uh-huh. So that's one of the questions that we have: is there is there a cell type or cell population that is more competent to to participate yeah. than others? How do you so say you do see that you by proof of principle you yeah. know there's uh, one dominant progenitor? How do you then backtrack to figure <laughs> out who that original purple? progenitor yeah. was yeah that, that's a really good question i mean the there are a couple ways you can do that one is just to kind of look back and if they come from uh, certain tissue compartments all the time right. then you can maybe try to subdivide that with tissue specific promoters or uh try to micro dissect out those clones but mm. i think probably w- what we'll try to do uh when we see that is to is to micro dissect out and then try to look uh, using expression profiling. They do this a lot in the gut with like the crypt. They find the love the, the crypt, crypt cells. And the, the yeah, 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 exactly. I think Hans Clevers gave a talk today nice. about this about this uh, very thing. So, cool. so is it crazy to think then? You know, if you just think about it in uh, a human sense, you know, people out there thinking, okay, so you know, if you have to get your arm or something amputated, right, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. So is it crazy to think that at the end, at that site of amputation, there are, in fact, these cells, some, if they're stem or precursor, yeah. or but something that have a regenerative capacity, but for some reason they're just held, yeah, right? And so exactly. if we can un, you know, understand how in a model where it does do that, it works, right. is it possible to think that we might be able to coax cells in a human body to just regenerate do it yeah i mean i think it's it's not so far-fetched because we know that there are you know mesenchymal stem cells in the body but in in humans and in in mouse but it's not clear exactly what kind of intrinsic or extrinsic uh, factors actually influence their basically lack of uh regeneration so and and i'm just from a global i guess an evolutionary perspective uh uh, why would this ability be lost i know the liver regenerates a little bit uh why why not my arm if it gets cut off is do people speculate is there like a yeah a theory going on as to why we don't have this super regenerative capacity yeah it's it's really interesting i think and you you said it exactly right that it's something that we've lost that the current theory is that because you have kind of sprinkled in the animal kingdom several different types of you know classes of animals that can regenerate that it probably was an ancestral trait that was just lost in Mm -hmm. in mammals and things like that and and it's not really clear because even for the axolotl, one of its closely related um, that's the salamander members, you work yeah, with. Yeah, this is the Axel- salamander, the, okay. axol- the Mexican axolotl, and uh, you know Xenopus, which is uh, a f- the frog, is right. a very common um, 
uh, model organism in the lab, it actually displays a stage-specific regeneration where, okay. as tadpoles, they can regenerate their tails right. and things like that. But after they go through metamorphosis, they actually can't regenerate they patterned limbs. Yeah. So even very closely related uh, family members um, can't do this. So, so it's Salamander doesn't do that. They don't lose their ability to regenerate. No, it's, it's completely all throughout life. And even after metamorphosis, they can still, they can still do this. Hmm. So Well, I'm, I'm assuming they're getting nipped on a lot which is why yeah. they, they retain this capacity <laughs> maybe maybe yeah. that's why we did it and what's that greek uh story about the uh, he was sentenced to having his liver eaten by uh the eagle all the time no it's i like don't know that i'm gonna uh, look uh, it up prometheus he gave fire to i love yeah. the punishments yeah. they gave yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> pushing a rock up a hill but always falls back yeah. down yeah. on you when you get it to the top that's like a great punishment anyway it's very fascinating very fascinating thanks for coming by we appreciate it thanks all right, there it is. What part one of our uh, trip to Sweden, ISSCR 2015? What do you think of that one, Chris? We ended it with a little bit of salamander there. We had a little bit of everything in that first two hours of interviews. We got a lot of, um, you know, I was. Were you surprised, Yost, that we got that much audio footage? I, I, I didn't. I, I was expecting us to get a lot of uh, people coming by, but I was really just amazed on how willing people were to come and sit down and get on a microphone. You know. Yeah, and uh, big shout to our our uh, volunteers as well. They uh, really did a great job. Um, especially what was it, Jessica? Uh, she was she was amazing. Just picking yes, up people wrote, on they the floor. A lot of people in brought them over to the table, and once again, shout out to uh, ISSCR for hooking us up and giving us a nice locale there. We were right. You couldn't you couldn't walk through the the conference without p- passing the podcast. So it was a good uh, it was a good setup, and I hope you enjoyed the first set. Then the next next episode will air the um, the next bunch, and in that bunch we'll have um, we'll close it out with uh, with some big dogs. So we'll uh, we'll bring you some of those interviews. Uh, we should probably rant and end because it's a long it's a long episode right now, Yo. So Yosef and I were inspired by our travels to do a rant about. Uh, traveling, and we're going to talk about air, you know, airline things that that just bother you. And yes. Bother us. So we're going to rant about. It. I thought we were going to rant about how you can't find any vegetables in Iceland, but we can do that. <laughs> we can do that. That's for true. Time. They they do love the fish and the meat out there, but yeah, um, they do. Yeah. Just no, I ate reindeer and reindeer heart at a point in our trip to Iceland. Which, yeah. By the way, is pretty good. The reindeer heart was good. Um. So yeah, on the flight out. Um. So I'm on the plane and. My headphone jack had some stuck in it, so uh, basically there was no entertainment on the flight for me. And then on the way back, uh, both my screen didn't work and my seat didn't go back, which is terrible if you're on a flight and you want to just get oh, some rest. Oh, your screen didn't work on the way back? Yeah, my screen didn't work. Oh, they, they, man. Yeah, they offered me an iPad, but... I was just like, you know, I don't know. I, I want my. I actually want to lie back more than I want the in-screen entertainment because I have my laptop. So that was terrible. And but then, I mean, like, listen, if you're going on a flight that's that long, and I feel that there should be like some sort of test. Everybody should have the to be able to get the in-flight entertainment because I'm thinking like if you have a kid and that's the kid's spot, like you're screwed, man. Like good luck if that doesn't if that stuff doesn't work. So like they, I remember the woman came up to you and you you're like my in-flight entertainment doesn't work. She's like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was it. And you're like, all right, very good. There was also um what what else happened with the um oh the you know what's the worst this is the worst i still don't understand this why do people when the flight lands and you get there 
why does everybody jump up and run out into the aisle and stand there and block you? I never understood that. Con- like, you can't go anywhere. Like, there's the doors not open, nobody's moving, but everybody's trying to get out into the aisle, and it clogs everything up. Then, then I can't get into my overhead. I never understood the concept of getting out into the aisle immediately. And people start even on our plane. People from the back were like coming up into the row. I thought that like the 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 what was it? The etiquette is that you go row by row, right? Yeah, yeah, you would think. But these people are coming up from the back and just cutting people off and getting up in the line. I really don't understand why why this is done. I, I really don't get it. You would think there'd be a more systemized way of doing it, but that's, that's I guess, a free-for-all is what we decide our system is. Because there's no, like, directions. You just, they, they make that sound, the door is open, and just people bum-rush their way out. So one last thing we could rant about with flying is that stupid customs form. They make you fill out that, that paper on the way back into the States. I guess this is a U.S., specific ramp but what is that blue paper form it it doesn't i mean i mean you're supposed to tell them like what stuff you brought back in yeah but but like, mean, like on the list is like snails uh, who's bringing back snails why why did they put that on? i know there was i saw that i was like what the hell i was all right i'm like yo should you bring your snails like who's bringing snails back number one number two if anyone's bringing snails back the, the, the last thing they need is a paper form i mean they need some other forms if they're bringing snails back on the airplane then then I, what i like to know is when you go to the customs and they fill out they look at your form they scribble this like weird note and like like saying on your form and that that dictates whether or not you're going to get a baggage check i've always wondered like is there like a rhyme or reason to this or uh you know like is it just some sort of like like random uh luck that you're going to get like screened and if you are i mean i had the only thing i wrote down was chocolate because i brought chocolate back and the guy goes he says to me what did you bring back chocolate i was like yeah i brought chocolate he's like would you bring back chocolate for and i'm like (laughs) My so I want to eat it? Like yeah. he was all serious, and he was like, "All right, you can go." And I'm like, "Yeah, thanks, buddy." Like, what? Well, what did I bring the chocolate back for? All serious, and then they're just trying to be more serious than than they are. I guess airline travel, we should say, right? Is like you're after a long flight, you're everybody's cranky, so maybe just like heightens the annoyances of things that might not be that annoying. You know, yeah. like I know you were talking about like uh, the seat backs and the tray tables. Yeah, why do they make you? By the way, why do they make you pull your seat back up at the end of the flight? I don't know. Like that's gonna make us land safer, I guess. I don't know. I, I guess if like there's an emergency, you want to have a clear aisle. But I mean, like, in, if the plane is going down, I don't think a couple seat backs going back is really gonna make the difference. There's so many honest. things. Like, remember when you had to put your phone on, turn off your phone, and now they're kind of relaxed about. It. They let you use your phone. Like it, our, the airline we had, the Iceland Air, they didn't say anything about phones yeah you don't know what they're like please put your airphone on airplane mode for the first ten thousand. they didn't say anything we were using our phones the whole way there's uh, there's so many rants in flying but i will say on that customs form it was pretty cool that they put cultured cells on there like if i were just gonna you know i was it it was cells yeah it was cultured cells and snails i was like okay i guess these are the the two most common things that people are bringing back into the u.s yeah i've never brought either and i would think that um cultured cells actually i might bring back one day but snails uh i'll hold i'll pass on the snails. so um anyway this is this is yosef and i 
complaining about a trip that was pretty awesome, finding yeah. things to complain about. <laughs> so we should just shut up and let let a uh, let the first part of the ISSCR 2015 episode be done, right, Yos? And well, yeah. the next episode will uh, will give you the next two hours. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and uh, Yos, I'll see you in the next one. All right, see you later. All right, man. <laughs>